welcome to the jungle. <laughs> it's uh, Leo season. I got two of the best synchro mystic Leonine gentlemen in the business. They even got matching tank tops. They're respecting the dress code. <laughs> it's awesome to be on Vibrant again. It's been a while. Had a nice little summer break. Not as long as Gabriel's must be nice, but we're here with a pretty long in the making conversation tonight. So everyone out there really feeling blessed to uh, see you all in the chat. Please pop off some shares to Synchromystic homies. I would love that because we're going to be building on stuff that the three of us have been discussing, you know, in our podcast shared appearances for quite a long time. You know, this is in a lot of ways, a continuation of previous work, but I think there's going to be some big keys provided here tonight that kind of make things fit together in a nice way. I like it. I'm ready. You guys ready? Hell yeah. I've been uh, channeling this whole, when, when you sent me this stuff, first person I thought of was Gabe. And uh, the second person I thought of was Baba, the cosmic barber. And for any of you who know who that is, I've been channeling him. He's always massaging. He's like, relax. And he's like taking all the energy out of the air and putting it into his uh, massages. So that's what we're going to be doing for the words you sent to us. It's a massage for your, I don't know, your soul more than your brain. That's right. We're going to massage the message. (laughs) (laughs) So the subject on the chopping block tonight is really something that I, I don't know that anyone could ever get to the bottom of, honestly. Probably the most occult aspect of the occult, and that would be the Sybils. Or as Michael Tesserion likes to refer to it, the female Illuminati. And, you know, we're, we're not saying Illuminati necessarily like your, oh, my God, conspiracy theorist type of phrase. But like the, you know, the initiates, potentially the source of all of the things that have come after. When you think about what is contained in, you know, allegedly contained in the, the writings and the ravings <laughs> of the symbols. Gabe, you're really the one that put this topic up for the chopping block. And I've been crunching on it mentally for quite a long time. Threw together some slides for tonight. This is the Sybils painting by, I think, Raphael. I don't know if that's the name of the painting, but they're all over the ancient world, but also well hidden in an interesting way. Constantly referenced, rarely spotted. And Gabriel, why did you want to get into this? Man alive. It is so vast and so huge. Am I coming through all right on audio? Beautiful. Okay. And you're outside. Also, must be nice. Yeah, nice. So, essentially, uh, the way I see it, you know, one thing about the Sybils is that they are notoriously elusive. They're very evasive. Uh, there's a lot of, like, you know, manipulation. Uh, that is necessitated by the fact that they have to stay occulted. They have to stay uh, obfuscated or in the shadows or removed from. Literally, this is, uh, in esoterica, this is impeccable because the feminine is private 
they stay behind the veil, they stay hidden, they stay, they hold all the jewels in the future investments of the family, they have all the hope and all the seeds, all the, all the, uh, the princely inheritance is in the divine feminine. So she holds all the secrets and the math and the knowledge and the measurements. Uh, that's all feminine. Uh, so when we go looking for them philosophically, it's only appropriate that they are veiled. That, you know, Aphrodite with thin nighty, you know, she has something, she's wearing something, but you can see the something, something underneath the something. And so all of this is kind of uh, intellectually uh, identifiable in our language. The Sibyls live in our language and they, uh, and they flirt in our subconscious realm in, in such pronounced ways that when you look at it from the macro level, you realize that it really does sway our decision making in, uh, in the psychology and the scaffolding of the vessel that we use to communicate. It's in our language, these sibyls, and they are, they, uh, yeah, they're everywhere. And we're quite obedient if you just know where to find them in our language. Well said, man. Well said. Definitely the aspect of the public and the private as it pertains to law is a huge element of this conversation. So as we you know, go through the slides, it's going to be <laughs> some things I want everyone to have in mind because we might not get to those things till later in the slides. But the big topics here are government. You know, I didn't even put it in the slides, but one of the philological, <laughs> one of the philological shifts you can do with Sybil by swapping some letters that are appropriate to swap is Kyber as in kybernetics or cybernetics, which is also the same root as the word gover. So the steersman of the ship. Yes. It's like they, that old adage, right? Behind every great man is a more powerful woman pulling the strings, that type of thing. I think that's in the mix here. And so we want to keep in mind that the, you know, the overarching theme, I think, that links this to other conversations that the three of us have had is how the religious, ecclesiastical, legal framework of how societies are governed in a feudal system or even a neo-feudal system like we have now, where that feudalness is more concealed, that that's... <laughs> I think that we're we're not off base at all to connect this back to the idea of these prophetesses and seers. And so we want to keep the law aspect in mind. We want to keep the, yeah, I think that's the, I'll just leave it at that as we get into it. But Dylan, what do you, what do you want to introduce your thoughts on this conversation? Like, so I have um, two sections prepared. The first section and. We'll do mine after this. The first, or after your slides, if we have time, right? But first section, it's how it pertains to our government, which is under Roman civil law. And the trusts that bind us to this perverted system are based on ecclesiastical trusts from the old world. And second of all, we're going to tie it into scripture if we have time, but also the implications of corruption and forgeries. And how the symbols themselves, um, all of this could be a product of the early takeover of the church, from what we know about it. And we're going to revert to the work of Justin Martyr for that. And then I have tons of stuff uh, 
philologically that I saw that I'm sure you guys probably saw some of that as well. And so we'll, we'll bounce those ideas. And then other than that, we'll just uh, fire from the hip. Yeah, buddy. So in terms of firing from the hip, however, either of you want to weave your ideas into the slides as we go, just stop me. We'll do that. If it requires a screen share, send me what I need to put up. And Dylan, it sounds like there might be kind of a noise gate effect happening on your mic. And it may behoove you to be, uh, that could be from the, the fan or the air conditioning. It may just require you to be a little closer as you speak so that that doesn't happen. Try it now. Cool. I always, I, I always hate when sometimes I, uh, I speak too close to the microphone and nobody told me during the show and then the re, the re, the re-listening to it. It's like, why didn't you guys tell me to put the mic a little bit further? I'm here to be your professional podcast captain. Rachel, thank you for the super chat. Always coming through. Reliable. 1999 euros. So that's even better than dollars. Thank you so much. Appreciate that a lot. You guys out there, feel free to super chat as you go if you appreciate the information here. So here's uh, we'll get into some slides then. From Heraclitus, according to Plutarch. The Sibyl with frenzied mouth uttering things not to be laughed at, unadorned and unperfumed, yet reaches to a thousand ears with her voice by the aid of God, by aid of the God. I don't know if it was supposed to be a thousand ears or a thousand years. I think it was ears, but actually either seems appropriate. I may have had a typo here. But, you know, this first slide, I want to proffer a possibility that the mythos of the Sybil being, uh, you know, a raving lunatic, crazy lady saying, speaking in riddles or nonsense that has to be deciphered. And all that goes along with that sort of like feminine chaos. Well, there may be truth to it. It may also be part of the corruption by the takeover of the church. Because at the same time as that takeover of the church, the if there were such things, the books of the symbols are destroyed. You know, the last vestiges of that system are either eliminated or gone completely underground. So there could very well be a big push to remove any tangible references or links to what that Sybil system entailed, how it worked, what was taught. Because as we're going to explore in these slides, and I'm sure Dylan's got gravy on this too, is the <laughs> the main thrust of the Sibyls, wherever you find them, was in the prophesying of a savior, born of a virgin, yada, 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 all of the trappings that we know. And while that gets attributed to Jesus by the later church fathers, it's actually, you know, vestiges of a much older system relating to the continual reincarnation of the savior on a cyclical basis. Gentlemen, anybody? Yes. So I just posted a link in the private chat. And if you want to go to that, that'll bring up to Google images. If you want, I'll share that with the, uh, with the chat as well on YouTube. Um, so, oh, it's, oh. it's too long, but basically, oh, am I, uh, am I, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was Go just going to say it's 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 the again. This is what harkening back to what I'm doing with my work is. You see that the Cumean 
Sibyl, like Cumi, right? So, so this is a town in Italy. But again, this they're perpetuating this Greek narrative that all of this stuff is Greek. That you have to go to Italy to find it. And this is the Farrago and the covering up of Italian history that I'm going to start getting more expansive on. I'm going to publish a new book on and I'm going to start getting more aggressive on because it's being overlooked and everything that you have, you see going on in Italy is being attributed to everybody, but Italians. Watch out more aggressive, Dylan, (laughs) more aggressive. Awesome. New book. That's a cool announcement. Yeah. Do you want me to enlarge any of these? I mean, the, just the no, very... I just wanted you to see it for reference that this, these are the caves where these priestesses are in and you go and you get these prophecies from them. Um, they would write them on leaves and scatter them in the wind. And so then you like even like wealthy people, right? All rulers and shit. They'd have to like scurry around trying to catch the leaves so they could get their message. And uh, there was a real ritual to this. Not to mention that just the imagery of these cave openings is quite evocative of the the female opening (laughs) you know what i'm saying right totally you know uh so so some of my research on the sibyls has been really focused on like what the differences are so as soon as dylan said the kume you know i knew on a map you know i've got a not all of them there's a i mean there's a good there's a good list of them uh, Gabriel the, does his research like a real druid. He keeps it all straight in his mind and memory. <laughs> it's amazing, dude. But the kume is a, is a it kind of bottlenecks. It definitely is going to have like the richest uh, it kind of filters. They kind of all came to kume to a large degree because there was a one of the sibyls came to Rome and made this offer to the emperor. I'm, I don't have the names on this, but she says, I got these nine books with all the wisdom of the sibyls of how to, you know, how to keep your people in line with the power of prophecy. And he's like, yeah, how much? She's like, six million. He's like, six million. She's like, yeah, six million. She burns three of them. She's like, I got these six books, six million dollars. She's like, wait, that's the same price for nine. She's like, yeah, she burns three million, three more of them. She's like, I got these three books, $6 million. He's like, yo, stop burning that shit. Here's a $6 million. He pays the price for nine, and all he got was three. And then those three books seeded that, Gre- that Greco uh, emulation that Rome went through. They were like trying to go through the motions to keep to kind of keep that civility transferred onto the next generation. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that Kume is a good one. I got a, quite a few notes on that. Uh, yeah. Oh, and I wanted to say in that quote, okay, this is fun, y'all. This is really fun because I'm reading Machiavelli in one side of my on one side of my head, and I'm looking back through his eyes. In that quote that you had there, Chance, it said unadorned and unperfumed. Right? In that quote that you had pulled up by Plutarch. So adorned and perfumed, those are uh the Judeo call uh clan would say those are arts that the Nephilim taught the women so that they could put on these uh, glamours on their eyes uh, and put on, you know, jewelry and uh, look symmetrical to mirror the symmetry of nature on their on their body to attract men with these arts. So all of that is Machiavelli technology, and it's all in this word adorned and perfumed. That's the false realm. That's the false world uh, that is literally in the definition of world. The world 
is adorned. It's covered up. It's a it's a false overlay. So, uh, yes, there it is, right there. When you go in public, you got to wear these adornments, these uh, these uh, these mind games. You have to put on these mind games and these sigils, right, to go out in public. Personas, work uniform, personas, masks. Yeah, your your legal person, your work uniform. Yes, type of trend you want to emulate like i'm a goth or i'm an emo or whatever the hell yes and one more thing and this is a trip a huge rabbit hole but i just got to put it while we're talking about adorned and seeing the world through through glamours that is where grimoire comes from language dresses the world up so that you can take things in acceptably this is the art of the sybil and the sybils had a certain type of mascara i believe it had malachite or some sort of fallen stone from the heavens that they would put onto their eyes and they were said to be able to see in ways that we can't uh but also it was a costly uh gift they had the ability to see because they put this makeup on they could see through into the other realm you know it's like we're in a uh a dark biome an unseen you know the other side the other realm whatever Uh, If they wear this makeup, but the thing is, it had a costly price and it actually wore them down because the makeup, uh, yeah, what you know, too much anything is going to cost you something. But who knows whether it worked or not? I've never tried it myself, but I think it's fascinating that these glamours are still used today. I am really glad you brought up the malachite based mascara. And I don't know why. I don't know what else they might have had in it, but Malachite is interesting. First of all, it's a good, it has a lot of high copper concentration. It's like copper carbon. Let me look here. That goes straight to uh, Cyprus then. Copper carbonate hydroxide. So copper invokes the Venusian ideal. It's the metal of Venus. It is also highly conductive. They're putting it, you know, basically around their eyes, the window to the soul. The other interesting thing about malachite, in my experience in energy work, is you see how it's got this dark element to it. It's like, you know, this malachite has a lot, this malachite in this picture has a lot of lighter spots, but much of it that you find is more on the dark green spectrum, black green more than white green. And like other stones of that nature, like Moldavite, interesting, still begins with the M-O-L-M-A-L, is something that can, it's like a heart-oriented stone. You know, here we are in Leo talking about the heart, but it's green, the heart, has a lot of heart chakra potential energy activation. But because of this dark quality to it, it's absorptive. So the longer you keep malachite in your possession, or without, you know, energetically cleansing it, or the longer you wear a stone like this, it can actually kind of build up with your negative emotions and start to become like a an albatross around your neck. <laughs> you got to be aware of that with the uh, stones of the darker green complexion. It's not that they can't be used well, but without energetic you know- hygiene, they actually can become kind of more of a detriment. Yeah. You know, this definitely makes me think of a peacock. If I had to, of of all the minerals, would you agree that this takes on the peacock uh, likeness? It's got like lots of eyeballs. 
Yeah, it's a fascinating. Malachite's a really unique one. I'll say that. Yeah. It has a very silky feel to it. I just wanted to put that on the record because that'll be, you know, the peacock is Hera's and her, her, one of her spirit animals. It's Pavo constellation. She also has a lot to do with Earth, you know, Pluto, the riches of Earth. Yeah, it's got a long history of use with scrying. So <laughs> not surprising that history probably comes from the Sybils. Good, right. good dig. I you guys remember that um, remember that conversation we had one day? It was like I just hopped on on a random vibrant. I told you about my eye experience, and that was the color of her skin, that dark green. So that's kind of freaky. That's pretty. That's pretty Medusa colored, right? Would you say? <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of like going Other back monsters. to that Aphrodite Venus. Uh, going back to my family, if you believe the astrotheological history of it, I don't. But going back to the K and C interchange, right? In classical Latin, it would be Gaisar, not Caesar. Gaisar. The Italian way is Cesare, right? That's how they say it now. But it was a is a G allegedly. That's how they pronounce it apparently. But they're descended from the the Julia tribe in Alba Longa, and they claim to be descended from Julius or Ulus, which is the son of Ennius, who is the bastard son of Venus. Hmm. That's going to come up. I got to write that down. Say that again. The son of Aeneas. Son of yeah. Aeneas. Well, the, the allegory is that I think it's an allegory for us being descended from Venetians, the sea, right? Venus, the sea people. Uh-huh. But the way it's been passed off is that Eulus, uh I think it would be a, it would be J like the Julia tribe, J U L I A or J U L I I, but it would look like I U L U S. That's mm-hmm. the, the Latin name for the son of Ennius from the Trojan War, allegedly. And I've I've talked at great length that I don't even think the Trojan War is real. I think it's all astrology or astrotheology. But yeah. Well, there's definitely, you know, more to come in this conversation about uh, unintentional or bastard children of the Magna Mater, (laughs) the Great Mother. Interesting, too, you know, if you do the the K, like the Malachite, the interchange of that with the S sound, it's the Malasite, you know, or Mara site. (laughs) Or just Malice. Or just Malice. Right. And we do say she'd be looking bad. <laughs> she'd be looking real bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's another thing is like, you know, the there's a virgin maiden crone. Am I getting that right? Am I mixing that up? Maiden and virgin are the same, I think. Who's it's the mother. middle? Oh, maiden that's mother crone or virgin thank, mother crone. Thank you. Maiden mother crone. I notice culturally everybody's trying to, wants to culturally impregnate the other culture's grandmother like no 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 i got your grandma no no my great my daddy got your grandmother and so there's this thing about the old ones in the old uh the, the the crone where did where you know whose source is this who's whose grandma is whose and you know so many cultures were tracking it through the fathers and meanwhile a whole nother a whole nother community was tracking it through the through the mothers you know uh keeping it on, on the private and that's very fascinating as well that we have a. Uh, uh, the these occulted family lines 
and their uh, their DNA, their history, their actual family lineage is somewhere, you know, deep in some catacomb somewhere and treated like a treasure. It becomes like a treasure, you know, the provenance of the blood. Louis just dropped a great anagram in there. <laughs> it's a pretty much exact anagram phonetically Malachite and Calamity. Whoa. What? They could <laughs> see calamities. <laughs> to foresee calamity, they would wear malachite. Yeah, that's incredible. That th- there's a, there's got to be a there there because they were all about foreseeing calamities. Did you say that was Polly? Oh uh, yeah, Polly Mathing Louie. He's a big legend. up Louie. Big up you brother. Get on screen. Nice. So uh, this slide seems to have got a little bit squished. Unfortunately, I don't know how that happened. Hopefully, not more slides got squished in the upload. If so, I'll just run the screen share differently. But some possible etymology links of the word Sibyl I've got up here. So the ancient Greek would have been Sibylla or Sibula. Well, we see in there basically the exact word of bull, which is a council. It's also the word bull, as in like your papal bulls. It also, of course, connects to the animal, the bull, which is very important to the rites and rituals of these, you know, pseudo druidic cults. I think there's a, a possibility that the Sibyl system, once it's passed over into the Holy Roman Empire system, has something potentially to, you know, as it's, you know, on the decline, it maybe have something to do with transitioning. You know, maybe it was at its height during the age of Taurus and was on the decline during the age of Aries. I don't know. Possibilities. But the uh, another word that means divine will or divine counsel in ancient Greek is Theobul. And if you accept the interchangeability of the letters THT. Or ST, you know, as I've been doing some Greek studies, sometimes they do pop off uh, what should be more of a T sound with the ST sounds, <laughs> you know, they kind of aspirate it like that. So with, well, lights just flickered. Interesting. <laughs> so the Theobul becoming Sibul isn't that crazy. I think that there's something there. Uh, another interesting possibility is Sobliki. Sublicius, I think that's how you'd say it. It's a word relating to, in Latin, to a bridge. So you would say like a pontus sublicius, like it's resting on pilings. Man, I am getting all kinds of hits, big time. Okay, so sepulcher, you know, sepulcher or sepulcher was like a a place where they... Towers in Ireland, every single one of those fucking towers has got a dead, dead... Very important people buried underneath them. Right. Now, now keep in mind, the Sibyls are sitting on top of rot. The Pythia is rot. It's a rotten, dead thing, and it has gaseous fumes. Now, they're not all the same. Some of them are different. Some of them are like, uh, they're, yeah, they're not all doing the same procedure. But just keep this in mind, that part of the mythology is this dead thing that they're breathing in the fumes. So, uh, Siblicius is a rest, resting pace or pilings that's very fascinating because we also know that they use a sepulchers or funeral pyres or mounds burial places to channel energy 
So I think we're also, while we're dealing with these sibyls, I think we're looking at necromancy as well as uh, uh, geomancy combined. I think that we're looking where the two meet, where necromancy and geomancy and all the telemetry and the ley lines and the dragon lines. I think we're, we're looking at this, uh, this long, very long, intricate thread. Okay, and, and wait, hold on, I'm sorry. Oh. One more thing, guys. I'm sorry, I can't miss this. Theobule, Chance, Theobromai is a, that was the freaking chocolate. That's the freaking anagram for Baphomet. The Baphomet, the scientific name for chocolate, if you, if you grant me the row, if you give me row and you let me turn it into the Greek P, I can change the word, the scientific word for chocolate, into Baphomet directly. And when you look at the flower head-on, a direct, head-on, symmetrical, facing the flower, it is the face of Baphomet. And so this is interesting because we're going underground, we're imbibing, we're partaking in some sort of psychedelic initiation ritual, and we're looking at a psychologically jarring image, and we're love-bombing. There's an there's a opening of your heart and an attachment to whatever this teachable lesson in the psychological moment is. So when they flash this, this big titty goat-headed monster, you're like, oh, what the fuck am I looking at? But why does my heart? And then the psychedelics kick in, and then the orgy starts, and you're like, what the fuck did I do last night? And you're compromised. One of the things I wanted to bring uh, attention to is it says resting on pilings. Well, that's usually like a wharf or a dock, places where ships come to port. Not so much bridges. And one of the things that made Venice unique is they built the whole city on that. So they would drive pilings into the the earth underneath the water and build on top of those. So I think that there might be something to that. And I forgot what else I was going to add, but I wish I could like rewind what Gabe said because he said something that, that, you know, it's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So. The the etymology that really sparked all this for me, making me definitely want to do this show, was the realization that Sybil, with the BV switch, as is so common, becomes civil. Civilization, civilization. So right there in the word Sybil, you have civil, you have Kyber or cyber, you have Dover, is also... I don't have it on the slide. I totally missed the Kyber cyber gover thing, but what is, what is uh Kyber? You know, what is the gover route relate to what Dylan just said? It's relating to ship steersmen of a ship controller. So there's something there. I think, you know, I, that's why I put in this resting on pilings subliquious because uh, obviously there's got to be a relation to the Holy sailors, the sea people, whoever they may be. <laughs> and then uh, another one might feel more like a stretch, but I, I can't tell you how many times the Greek theta, as I've been learning to speak some Greek, the words that start with a theta, which is a TH. I can't tell if they're saying it with a D or a V. A lot of times I thought that I should start the word with a V sound of a, but it actually is a theta and it's supposed to be more. Or is theta. it a Veda? <laughs> is it a Veda? And so granting that and the B to V interchange, it's actually 
not that far off, Sybil, from Volva. And the Volvas were the prophetesses and magic wielders of the Norse mythos and the Volupsa texts. Voluspa texts. So I think that's what this image on the right is. These are meant to be vulvas of the Norse mythos. But, you know, would you guys have been surprised if I told you that that was supposed to be a depiction of the Sybils? Look, look below them. Look what's in the, the ocean to the bottom left of this image. Bunch of drowned men. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Those are like faces or something. Bunch yeah. of poor fuckers. Or are they the monies? <laughs> Guiding the souls. So the, the... Oh, I know what I was going to say. Going back to that C and G interchange. Necro, because uh, Gabe was talking about necromancy and geomancy and all that stuff. Well, that's necro comes from negro, right? So black, death, winter, etc. Necromancy literally means black magic. So that's what I, you know, that's something to be mindful of. That C and G interchange. Going back to that. Booty Yoga in the chat with a great point. What about sibilant? A sibilant is a hissing sound in patterns of speech, which, oh. as he says, that might relate to the pith, the pithis or the pythia, the python of wow. the Delphic the oracle. They say it, the yes, I love that. Um, I, I do know that some people have accused culturally certain languages of like having so many S's that they sound like a den of vipers when they speak together. And I think it is Latin, isn't it? Isn't it Latin that has so many S's that they're like, uh, it's, 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 it was like distasteful to the ear for some cultures at some point. So, yeah, that's interesting that it's a pitheus. So there's a ton of different symbols. I actually, you know, I had ambitions to cover off. Dude, this just ties into what I said. Cimmerian <laughs> relates to darkness. We're coming <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get oh, a lot of that we're gonna get a lot yes. of that okay that's also an, a phonetic anagram for american right there american <laughs> chimerian uh there's an anagram in that but i wanted to weave on that darkness uh uh that you were uh bringing up dylan um because it, you know it's chthonic they're underground it's also you're going in inside so it's yonic it's private Oh, but it's in our subconscious. That's the other thing. And that's why it's so fascinating. And like, I'm cautious because it's almost like we're being invited into the cave to be like, "Eh," you know, uh, uh, so I know that this is a is a, a narrow path. I know that my footsteps are on a predetermined route here. And so that's why I'm being extremely cautious. Like, uh, because I noticed somebody in the telly before we started, they were bringing up the fact that like, you know, there was uh, an assault on the feminine, this whole thing about like going after the midwives and all of that is fascinating and, and important and valid. But I just want to say that. What do I want to say? <laughs> oh, that the women at this time, that in the cultural context of what we're talking about, I think it's important we bring up the fact that the women weren't telling men that they had a role in uh, in making babies. And that this, this is kind of part of why the theory goes that this is part of why there was such a suppression of the feminine is because they were 
uh, in such a place of control, not only did they not tell you about your child or whose daddy was, whose child belonged to who, they had not only control of that, but I want to bring this up. They also were in a position to be in control when you want to talk to your dead loved ones. So you better be in their good graces. You better be in the good favors of the Sybils. Because when, you're, when your loved ones pass away and you go and you like go to pay your dues, the, uh, the necromantic priests will come to you and be like, yo, man, we heard what you did. And then they start leveraging you and blackmailing you and they find your weak spots. So all of this is just psychological vulnerabilities that have been exploited in the past. And they're just finding new ways to do the same thing and repackage it. And the proof of it is hiding in our words. Okay, I'm going to stop ranting. Dude, the fucking slides. Um, you don't know what's going on with me right now. Carmentis. Mount Carmel. What's a Carmelite? A worshiper of Mary. That's a great virgin, isn't she? Whoa. And then you've got Lupercal, Lupercal, Lupercum. Yeah, let me, let me read the, this off for the people that are just, you know, listening. The, uh, oh, okay. Hold, hold it, though. Don't lose these. Hold them tight. You're the one that made this shit. I can't help it if I'm seeing it. Because <laughs> what you just said, though, I didn't even think about that. The Carmelites, but the the phonetic roots of car and men, very important to this whole conversation. That'll come up again later. So pay attention to that. Car mentis. One thing that just off the off the cuff, which, by the way, this the Sumerian Sybil was supposed to be named Carmentis. So that's one one way you could define that name would be the mind of the sun, or the core, core. Like we're gonna get into the whole root of core, core later. But car is also a big part of this. I'll just read the slides, okay? So, so I'm doing what I told you to stop doing so that I could read the slides. Sumerian Sibyl, by name Carmentis, presided over the Apollonian Oracle. Apollonian Oracle at Samarium in Italy near Lake Avernus. Uh, <laughs> that word Avernus, that's, um, you know, it might be related to the same root as the Ibiri or Avarice, words that are derivative of the Hebrew four letters, the four letters that create the, you know, that we get as the word Hebrew. Avernus could be in there. It's possible. Um, the mentions of the Sumerian symbol come from 235 to 204 BC from the playwright Navius in his books on the Punic War. So now the Phoenicians are in here in the story. This prophetess was cited in an encyclopedia called Liber Floridus, Floridius, Floridus. The important note is that in this text, she's identified as India. Very important note. And this Sybil's son, allegedly, Evander, founded in Rome the first shrine of Pan, the Lupercal or Lupercum. So that's another thing. You know, Pan's the goat, goat god, dude. There's a thread here repeatedly, and it'll come up again later in the slides too, of the son of the Magna Mater, or the Great Mother, having something to do with being raised by a goat or being part goat or setting up shrines to goat gods. Definitely a lot of goats going on. Okay. Have at it, Dylan. I want to just read it off. There's going to be some reading tonight. I'll try to be quick about it. 
All right, so if you check the comments, I posted two links. The first is Skol and Hati. And what I wanted to bring to the attention to that with, with your slide was you have Lupercalia, right? These are festivals, right? Apollo, Lycos, like the wolf is a symbol of Apollo and of Mars, gods of war, right? These sun gods. And Haiti in the Norse, if you, if you look up on that, um, if you want to bring that link up, you'll see the wolves. They're basically the wolves of winter. The winter sun is allegorized by a wolf because wolves, for anyone who lives in the north that actually has wolves, they're at the most active when they hunt in wintertime, whereas in summertime, it's the lion, right? That's going to correspond to the summer sun. Leo, Eracli, or Eracli in Etruscan. Now, what's interesting about this is you have Ati, you have Hades, the Greek, Winter, which would correspond to the Pluto, right? The rape of Persephone, because in during wintertime, the virgin is the one that rules the skies after midnight. And then you have Aita, which is A-I-T-A. I said there in the second link in that chat is uh, the Etruscan or Etruscan. I say Etruscan because the Latin is, it would be spelled like, you say Etrusci, which is H-E-T-R. U S C I, right? And so in Latin, we say, like, uh, right? If I were to say, le capisce l'italiano, it means, do you speak Italian? Capisce, right? Do you understand? You don't say le capisce. You don't say piscis. You say Pisces or piscis, which is fish, pisciculi. You say bishop in Old English, B I S C E O P. It's not biscop, it's bishop. So wait a second. You're telling me that had fish capisci means understands? Le capisce. Do you understand? Le capisce. So capisce is like hat fish. So the Pope's fish hat is saying a visual pun that he capisce. He capisce. Not to mention you stand on your Pisces. You stand, your feet are the Pisces. Wow. Because people always wow. get mad at me. They're like, look at this dumb Italian. He doesn't even know how to say Etruski, Etruscan. No, we don't, Latin doesn't work that way. Wow. So, yes. So, to say I understand is like, I'm, I'm going to put on the hat. I'm going to capiche. I'm going to hat put. I'm going to hook. I'm going to put on the hat. Yeah, kaput. <laughs> and, and now I'm kaput. Yeah, kaput. yeah. C and H oh. interchange. Yeah, it's wild, man. Wow. I did not know about Aita, or however you would say that, the Etrurian Hades. But that that is phonetically there, T and D switch. So you have, you know, Haiti. Well, you're the Haiti. one that brought up Haiti, that island corresponding yeah. to Hades. Yeah, and it's an underworld to the above continent in a way. Yeah, this is something I need to brood on <laughs> longer, the Etrurian Hades. Really interesting. So capiche literally means, are you going to wear this hat? So when the judge says to you, do you understand? He's saying, capiche, are you going to put this hat on? Are you going to put capitalism? And what is a hat? It's a hood. Right. You are you. Are you Dylan? Michael Sicosio? You know, are you this person? Are you going to put on this person hood? Yes. Okay. I think somewhere in this wordplay that we're doing right now is uh, Malkuth and Keter. 
This is Malkuth and Keter. Malkuth is basically an anagram for MK Ultra. If you give me the L to R, Malkuth becomes MK Ultra, and Keter is the feet. So there's the crown and the feet. And we're talking about Kaput means PC. Is the crown and Malkuth is the feet, right? It's the feet. So somehow the MK Ultra of the switcheroo of are, do you understand? Are you going to wear this hat? Is all in the linguists, the language of what we just laid out. Fucking wild, man. When you start looking at this stuff, it's like, is this just, this, uh, you know, if you think about it, thought, you know, these, these things are what people would call supernatural, right? Because we, they exist. You just can't physically necessarily measure them in any like, you know, scientific way or physics way, but we're having thoughts and we're engaging in this supernatural technology. And a lot of people don't appreciate that divinity in us that enables us to do this, you know? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. And it's fascinating how these visual puns are seated uh, so long ago that the cultural context that would, it took us hundreds of years to get the joke. We just got the joke of Capisci. And on the we next just... fucking side, side, it's Apollo, Apollyon, Apollyon with the angel <laughs> of the abyss of winter. Beauty is. So uh, the Kumean symbol, it, in my opinion, is the most interesting one in the context of our conversation today because I'm kind of keeping things more in Italy. Uh, because, you know, we probably folklorically, we all have heard a lot more about Delphi, the Oracle of Delphi. Dylan needs dude, to be hold the phone. Go, dude, go at it, dude. Go for it. Do you it. remember a couple weeks ago, I was saying, or maybe like last week, or it was a while ago, but I said, like, I think I have, uh, I have a suspicion on what made Italians cuck. Like, how did these priests of Egypt get over there? Well, you just said near Naples. What else is near Naples? Mount Vesuvius. And one of the cities that I think was a crucial city to ancient Italy back then was Pompeii. And so when that went off and destroyed Pompeii, and whether it's 79 AD or some other time in the first century, when you're a people in need, that would have crippled the economy. Because if you look at it, the, the, it's the Sarno River. It goes straight from the Tyrrhenian Sea, which is another word for Pelagian, right? The Pelagian and the Tyrrhenians were the same people, Etruscans, Etruscans. That, that region was a huge city, and not even a lot is known about it. They're still finding all kinds of stuff about it. And I think that was the catalyst. You know, like when you're in need, you'll take help from anybody. And who are the people who help? The healers, the therapeutes, the therapeutes, or therapeutes, and that's what I think was the catalyst for them coming over there under the guise of aid, just like they do with Haiti, just like they and do all over with you know the spread Red of Cross, yeah. about foreign aid, and they're going in there and they're pimping everything out, and I think that's I I'm, I I can't prove anything, but that's what I suspect. And the next level crazy possibility is like <laughs> was there some kind of black magic to pop off that volcano because way underneath the surface of these waters is the weather manipulation the you know summoning storms to wipe out fleets of persian boats you know or even just forcing slaves to mine in that mountain to a certain depth or whatever not knowing what the consequences of that would be, you know? 
Like, like they might've known the consequences, but you know, the slaves were, they got no choice. A lot of possibilities. Yep. So yeah, I think the Kumean Sybil though is one of the most interesting for this conversation. We've all heard a lot more about the Oracle of Delphi. I would say that's more common knowledge and it's definitely important, but the, let's t- let me read through the slide here. The Kumean Sybil presided over the Apollonian Oracle at Kume near Naples, as we've said. Very interesting to look at some of the alternate names for this Sybil. Herophile. So there you have Eros. There you have Hera, the goddess. There you have <laughs> Savior, which is Hera or Hari, Hari Krishna, right? That's according to Pausanias, an important figure in talking about Sybils. Pausanias is one of the few that's passed much over to us into the modern age. The Aeneid refers to the Kumean Sybil as Dephobi or Dephobe, which is like the light of the god or the fear of the god, depending on how you look at it. Uh, oh, oh, you Amalthea, know what? Demophile, Taraxandra. Those are some other names for this Sybil. Nice. So, you know, Chance, that uh, Hierophile, uh, that Love one... Love of the Savior it, is what that would mean. It it's also... Cairo. It's also... The holy, the holy love. Yes, it's also uh, a psychological condition where people eroticize sacred objects. It's a psychological condition. Hierophilia is where you are uh, aroused by what is sacred. And this little study, this little nugget of wisdom is what made me realize that today the new sacred implement, the new sacred tool that is so erotic that it has literally conquered the world is the mouse. The mouse is the yoni and the little button in the middle is the clitoris. And they have rubbed the clitoris of the grand ma. What is the internet mostly used for? Yeah, look at all those people watching porn and shit with the clicking that mouse like it's like a fucking slot machine. To grant fucking wishes. They just rub the little mouse and somebody comes to their fucking door. They've sexualized the entire fucking experience. It's ergonomically perfect. They've sexualized life. And all you got to do is rub a button and they come knocking at your door. A, a, a fit man will come bring whatever you ask for. Just what rub does that it mean button. that I have this sideways ergonomic mouse? It's a sideways vagina. I told you, don't tell Owen about that. <laughs> uh, that means you, you probably own a pair of assless chaps. <laughs> Even even if we disregard the mouse, look at the MacBook. It's a box. And another name for it is box. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep that in the back of our minds. Well, actually, I want to add to what you said, Gabriel, because the the eroticizing of sacred objects. Yes, I got one more after this. A a big thing with the, the tradition, the Sibylline tradition so there's a difference between a fetish with an SH and a fetich with a CH. A fetish is sexual. A fetich, when something is fetishized, it's when the sacred implements or the sacred symbolism or mythologies of your ancestors 
is still revered in a traditional sense or maybe even idolatrized without the actual spiritual meaning or metaphysical depth retained. So what the what the Romans really did with a lot of the Sibylline rituals and rites and customs is a big form of fetishism because it's constantly referred to how they don't really know why they do this, but they just are doing it. You know, so they've right. fetishized it. And right. so there's definitely a there there with the fetish and the fetish. Yes. And also I'd love to kind of marry the two together a little more with the fact that you're feeding an itch, you know, whether, whether you're going through yeah, fetichine. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Carrie? Uh, so yeah, uh, there was something else on my mind. Oh, herophilia. Oh yes. Okay. One more thing about, uh, taking the sacred implements of our culture today, the most, I mean, you can't, you can't convince me there's anything less sacred than the mouse that makes the machine go. You know what I mean? It doesn't get much more sacred really in this day and age. But here's another one. This is kind of fun. The laptop. Hunter Biden laptop. And all the crack cocaine whores on that on there and all the debauchery and all whatever. And how the right is now, you know, the right is now obsessed with like sharing tranny porn and Hunter Biden crack sniffing crack off of hookers. Right. They're they're sharing the filth and they're like, you have to look at this. We got to stop the left. Right, right. Now here, I want to just kind of from a from a very elevated perspective, I want to look at this laptop thing. And I want to say, like, for some reason, it becomes a like a a holy grail to find the to find. Have you seen have you seen what's on it? Did you see the pictures? It becomes. And so we are fetishizing this this laptop and the laptop again, just like the mouse. It doesn't get more sacred than this day and age. Now, hold on. The laptop, this is a trip and a half, guys. The whole thing with Hunter Biden's laptop is an anagram for La Puta, which is the bitch. And it is in Gulliver's Travel. La Puta is the floating island that the elites live on. La Puta is the name of the island that the elites live on that floats up in the heavens. And this is what uh, it has much to do with uh, us eroticizing success. We've even made it so far that it's like, oh, yeah, I could do crack whores and whatever. And that's getting ahead in life. That's how. Just describe the real Atlantis game. That's how I get whatever. It's the heavens and the the rings are made by the planets or whatever. Yes. So the laptop is going to grant you access to Plato's realm where you can watch the porn where Hunter and the successful people who run the world are up there banging 70 virgins in heaven. You know, it's all just into this, uh, this illusory. Hold on, is it 70 or is it 72? Because we know the, the Jews like to round. So they don't like 72. So they'll use 70, right? Instead of know. 72 degrees. So. But, but if the Norse catch you and, and uh, they kill you, they'll chop your dick off. So you're stuck with no dick and 72 virgins. That's torture. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> As William Defoe said in Born in the Fourth of July in his wheelchair, if you ain't got it in the hips, you better got it in the lips. <laughs> uh, I'm going to finish this slide. As Gabe alluded to, and I think we'll talk about more later. Actually, I have quite a bit we could talk about with the command civil. You know, if we want to get into the story of the acquisition of the Sibylline books by Lucius Tarquinus Superbus, Superbus, the, the supposedly semi-legendary last of the seven kings of Rome before the empire. 
but uh, I think he's fully legendary, really. According to Dionysus of Halicarnassus, around the 50th Olympiad, not long before the kings were expelled from Rome, an old woman who was, quote, not a native of the country, arrived incognita in Rome. As Gabe already kind of told the story, she offered nine books of prophecies to King Tarquin. He declined to purchase them because they were too expensive. She burned three, offered the remaining six to Tarquin at the same price, which he refused. And then she burned three more of them, repeating the offer. Tarquin then relented after the other, like, I think the priesthood chastised him because they're like, we need those books. And so he purchased the last three at full price. And then she, according to Dionysus of Halicarnassus, she disappeared from among men. The books were thereafter kept in the temple of Jupiter on the Capitoline Hill in Rome to be consulted only in emergencies. The temple burned down in the 80s BC and the books with it, allegedly, necessitating a recollection of Sibylline prophecies from all parts of the empire. So this is like, this is like the eclectics playbook, actually, recollecting all of the parts, lost parts of the mythos and the system from all the places where it's been scattered. That's what eclecticism was about. The eclectics are the therapeutes, the college from Alexandria. I told you I was going to get more aggressive. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. <laughs> I, have a, I have a bit more to go over with this slide. The uh, carefully sorted uh, sibling prophecies that were determined to be legitimate were saved in the rebuilt temple. Emperor Augustus had them moved to the temple of Apollo on the Palatine Hill. And they remained there until that was also destroyed later on. The In the Aeneid, the Cumaean Sibyl prophesied by singing the fates, writing on oak leaves. They were arranged inside the entrance of her cave. But if the wind blew and scattered them, she would not help reassemble the leaves to recreate the original prophecy. The Sibyl was, in the Aeneid, a guide to the underworld, <clears throat> which is Hades, whose entrance lay at the nearby crater of Avernus. And Aeneas employed her services to go visit his dead father in the underworld, Anchises. Rankeses. So in Ovid's Metamorphosis, this is where it gets interesting. Ovid says the Sibyl, Cumaean Sibyl, was a mortal, but she lived a thousand years and she attained her longevity when Apollo offered to grant her a wish in exchange for her virginity. She took a handful of sand and asked to live for as many years as the grains of sand she held. Later, when she refused the god's love, he allowed her body to wither away and she failed because she failed to ask for eternal youth. So she's like super crone, <laughs> all yeah. ratchet. Her body grew smaller with age and eventually was kept in a jar, homunculus. <laughs> and eventually yeah. only her voice was left, a voice in a jar. I think that's, there's got to be more threat yeah. to that. So, so the part, the part about the one that uh, she writes on leaves and then she leaves them at the, at the entrance of her cave, there's these puns. Again, we're playing with puns. She leaves the leaves. But what's fascinating is that these myths aren't in English, but the puns still come through. 
And that's where that's what just keeps happening with these symbols is like we're told that this comes from Greek culture. The, the sound of the words in the meat should not be coming through. But there are all these puns. And then the other one, uh, there was another one with this that second Sybil. She had another pun. Uh, but I slipped my mind already. But that's the kind of the thing is that their little rituals in their traditions are the details of the tr- of the movements that they're going through are actually enacted in the other details of the st- of their own story. So there's like they're all babushka doll myths within themselves. So I just uh, I'll, I'll point the, the rest out as they come to me. But I just heard like two or three in that in that one page. And the, a thousand year lifespan is interesting. And there's a quote from oh. a satiricon in the time of Nero that where a character in this novel says for once for, I indeed once saw with my own eyes, the Sybil at Kume hanging in her jar. And when the boys asked her, Sybil, what do you want? She answered, I want to die. It's pretty, pretty. Dark. Yes. So that, that was it. It's a hourglass. It's a Hore glass. You know, the, the vessel is where the sand is and she's a Hore, right? So it's the hourglass that becomes the, the, the metaphor. So you see how like all of these are like little Coens, but they actually do have an answer that they are, they are answerable, but the answer is like seated in your subconscious somehow. And now whenever you hear hourglass, you think of thou sand and sure enough, this little myth is attached to it, you know, seated in there. And Ur is you know, they transliterate it as you are means light in Hebrew. But if you actually look at the Hebrew spelling, it's Aleph, uh, Vav, Resh. That's A-U-R. Or, right. So it becomes, it becomes. Ouroboros? It also gives yeah, you that. Auto, AV, gold? It gives you that A-V-R like Avernus where this, you know, the mouth of this crater was that the Sybil supposedly lived in. Or wow. the entrance to Hades was. And ours is uh, it is just close enough to yours and ours, both. You know, it says both. It's like it could be to the individual, but it also speaks on the, the macro as well. That's fun. So the last things we didn't say out loud in this slide is that the Cumaean Sybil, along with Virgil, were considered prophets of the birth of Christ in Virgil's eclogues is where he eclogues is where he uh has the Sybil deliver the prophecy that the later Christian church interpreted as a prophecy of the birth of Christ. And thus they deemed Virgil a virtuous pagan, (laughs) but that's like in a really important detail because this prophesying of the savior aspect is hugely relevant to the system. Also, as we did in uh, the last podcast we did with the therapeutic, uh, I we went over Virgil being Etruscan. You look at his name, and when I said I was going to be more aggressive, this entire garbage story is fucking Greek. I'm going to leave the Greeks in out, especially the modern Greeks. They're all Slavonic people anyway. They're not the old Greeks, from what I understand. But it's either the Greek Empire or the Church doing it on and making it look like the Greeks. Whoever's go, going about this, but. Even if you look at, so Tarkinia, Tarkini, right? This is an, uh, an important Etruscan city. And in this mythology, what is he, of course? A fucking Greek. He's a Corinthian. His father 
Demaratus is a wealthy merchant that fled the shit going on from the Persian Empire against Greece or whatever, which I think is astrotheology, and fled and was given sanctuary in Tarquinia. So again, this is a covering up of Italian history. And no, not one person that accounts for any of this story actually talks about what Demaratus became wealthy selling, just that he was a merchant. So the whole thing is like Greek Farago, guys. And I'm going to start getting more aggressive about it. I'm curious to know what you think of, as we pull into some uh, more Persian, Persian <laughs> areas, like how the, I, I don't think we've ever talked about where Persia or Iran, Anatolia, Turkey fit into the story of like the Gauls and the, the Celts and the Holy Sailors and the Etrurians, whatever's going on. But the next symbol to look at is the Hellespontine Sybil. Hellespontine Sybil presided over the Apollonian Oracle at Dardania, Dardania in Turkey, modern Turkey, alleged to be contemporary with the lawmakers Solon and Cyrus the Great or Cyrus II of Persia, both of which are, at least in their name, they're the son. <laughs> and remember the theme of lawmakers because lawmakers are the one you know these savior figures on the recurring cycle of incarnations they're lawmakers that's always part of the deal you got to have the divine right to give the law and the sun is the symbol of all that so this symbol was near gurgis which Philologically would be Circus or Circle. <laughs> and that's Mount Ida, actually. That's allegedly. Speaking of Persian, it sounds like you just said Xerxes. Xerxes, <laughs> Xerxes whatever that guy's name is. Yeah, it does. Duh. And uh, isn't he related to Cyrus? Or maybe not. They're, they're, he's descended from Darius, isn't he? I don't know if those are the same dynasty. But <clears throat> Mount Ida, another big part of this picture, the sacred mountain where the savior is raised or born because the mountain is actually the mother. We'll get into that. The mother and the mountain are the same entity, kind of like Gaia, the mother goddess is the earth. So the Hellespontine Sybil allegedly also uh, is claimed that she predicted the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And this is my, you know, this is my interpolation, but I think this Sybil center, civil center, <laughs> might be the source of the prophecies that make their way into the book of Isaiah of the Old Testament. Possibly, but because it is all kind of the same system everywhere you go, it could have come from elsewhere. But because of the proximity, I think it could be this one. Well, it's important to note Isaiah for those who don't know. And a lot of the stuff you're covering has been in our books, uh, A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. There's a lot of like replay value to revisit some of this shit because as you learn more you go back to it and you're like whoa and you see it's kind of like these slides you just see, keep seeing more and more but um isaiah isa that's the transliteration of the arabic word for christ they pronounce it aisha but it's literally i isa right and you'll see that root in everything from ishvara to isis the savior yasha iso isa like deliverance in hebrew um, yeah. Yod Shim, it would be Yod Shin Ayan, Yod Shin A, uh, 
and Yah, God, which is in Hebrew would look like uh, Yod Hey, in Greek it would look like Iota Ada, in Latin it would look like I E or I O or I H, the root of Jesus and of the Jesuits, you know, I H S. I have a slide with some Isaiah etymology. <laughs> I think it's after this. So, you know, you're on where we are on the same train of thought. So but I obviously this isn't an ancient depiction or anything of Cyrus the second of Persia. But look at this guy. Does that not look like a Christ figure to you? He's even got a golden sword, a Christ sword. And there's a the word. There's sword, the, the words of God. There's that sneaky, there's that sneaky horse head in the top right. Even I didn't even notice that the first time I looked at this. And the towel in his stomach, that gold like Phoenician towel. Yeah, man. So Cyrus II of Persia was alleged to live 600 to 530 BC, and recall the Nero's cycle, which is the incarnations of the Son of God, being approximately 600 years, and. His birth, 600, birth and reign, 600 years before the supposed birth of Christ. So not a coincidence. He's the founder of the first Persian Empire, alike to Jesus, who is the founder, essentially, of the Holy Roman Empire 600 years later. Law, lawgivers. The reign of Cyrus lasted about 30 years, similar to the length of Jesus's lifespan. I find all those synchronicities interesting. And the degrees of assigning. (laughs) Here is a relief of him from a site in Iran with the triple crown. Which is Egyptian, obviously, right there. (laughs) Like, how are you going to pass that off for Iranian when it's clearly Egyptian? (laughs) Well, another part of this conversation that we haven't ever dug into, and I just didn't have the space in this conversation to go further, but watch out for cities and settlements and a big part of how you can pull the threads of the syncretism is when places far away from each other have a bunch of cities with the same name <laughs> like how does that happen but the higgins goes into this in really good detail in anacalypsis the soliman or soli soliman hiero soliman jerusalem that's where it comes from if you look at it in latin and greek it's hiero sacred sulam ladder uh, jacob's ladder Right, Soliman. So there he is with the triple crown. Cyrus, the name derives from the Persian name for the sun, Koresh, which means Lord of the Sun. <laughs> so not a not a stretch at all. That's like accepted mainstream etymology right there. And what does the root syllable core tell us? That's a Greek word for a virgin or a maiden. That's attributed to Persephone or Demeter and the high priestess of Demeter was called the core in Greek. And then the Kurates were the armed warrior companions of Rhea or Kybel. And they were the guards of the cave on Mount Ida or Mount Maru, where Zeus or Bacchus or whoever it happens to be in the story you're reading was hidden from his father or raised, depending on the mythology. You're just you just see the sun and everything because you're a sun worshiper. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. We got the three on the head again. He's got the which three is Pisces. So again, we've got the three headed. You know, the the cat put is on here again with the three elements. Triple crown of the Lord. 
That's so fun. I love it. And that's, uh, again, we're going to, I mean, all of this is, these are hermeneutics, right? This is the art of interpretation, but the, the key to hermeneutics is to be a three wise man, you know, to know, to know the art of the three. I'm loving this. This is fun. And yeah, uh, the sun is also you see those ram horns. Sorry. Uh, the other thing I want to add about this mm-hmm. relief is in the Sanchoniathon, the um, cosmogony of the Phoenicians, although it's probably not authentic, there's a lot about the symbolism of deities that have however many, depending on however many wings they have. And this is like four wings, which is interesting. That's also like a, you know, the only thing I can think of in nature that has four wings is a dragonfly. What were you going to say? Okay, we'll move forward. All right, I was on mute. Uh, if you look up Knum, I posted the link in, the, in our private chat, K-H-N-U-M for the audience. You will see those ram horns. If you look closer at that picture under that triple crown, I forget what that, that crown has a name in Egypt. I forget what it's called. Um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, but you know this is uh, this is the kind of sheep that you're going to find on the Isle of Man. This this horn is actually uh, still surviving. This style of ram horn is on the Isle of Man, and it's iconic to that island. And they style their uh, flag is stylized after uh, Sicily, and Sicily, the Sicilian flag is venerating the Medusa under Mount Etna there. Uh, but I just thought I'd mention that, that this ram is still preserved. It's a national treasure of the Isle of Man. It's called the Hem-Hem crowd, uh, crown. And Hem is Ham, darkness. Winter. Damn. Yeah, man. Unreckoning the year in winter. Nice. That's another weird thing about the Isle of Man is like, uh, you know, this is, I can't help it. I just can't resist. It's, it's so gay. It just has to be said, you know, I love man. They definitely have, you know, some boys clubs going on in the woods over there. <laughs> him, him. <laughs> so in the book of Isaiah, the reason I'm bringing this up is so that we can see that the Old Testament is a type of the Sibylline oracles. It's uh, and we'll see more reasons to, to understand that, that this is a system that's all over the place. It's not unique to any one culture. It's just a reboot of the same thing. So in the book of Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah being in the Hebrew, Yesha Yahu or Yahweh is salvation, which is the same exact meaning as Yeshua or Jesus. That's what Jesus means. I got to say something because I'm going to start getting more aggressive. Go, what go are the it. first three letters in Isaiah in that Hebrew? Yod, Shin, Ayin. What is Ayin in Phoenician? It's what Omicron comes from. It's an O, Iso, Savior. There's no reason for anybody to ever transliterate that as an A, as in Isaiah. It's I-S-O, and then Yod, which is I, He, which is an E. 
And then that looks like, a, it looks like a, a Vav at the end of that. I don't know, but it could be, a, I, I am, I'm not good at re- recognizing Hebrew unless it's in that old synagogue font. <laughs> well, yeah. And so it's going to be like a U. ISO or Acer, that's the Etrurian top G, top God as well. And the Irish, don't forget the Irish, that's their word for God too, A-E-S-A-R. And the Norse, the Aesir, Acer, it's all there. You got a drone buzzing me right now. The gravy portal has been opened and they're skeptical. They're like, what are these guys doing out there? Come on down and get some. <laughs> it's all you can eat. Everybody's invited. <laughs> We're not prejudiced. What's up, Donut Factory? Yeah, Donut buddy. Factory. <laughs> I like love. to say that to Gabriel, too. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Big love, Donut. So it's widely believed that the book of Isaiah is a prophecy of the coming of Christ. Although the text actually specifies that it's about Cyrus and his liberation of Israel from the Babylonian captivity. Uh, one of the ways that the, the KJV... liberation of Israel? Well, what's, what's Israel? Another, <laughs> it's a Phoenician word for chronos. So the liberation of time? Sounds like we're talking about people learning cycles in time, not an actual historical story. Could be. The verse 714 from Isaiah is... Often, like I think in the KJV, it's translated as the maiden is with child and she will or the virgin is with child and she will bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. And because the virgin birth is the Christ thing, that is pretty much the one they point to and say that Isaiah is talking about Jesus. But the word is really maiden. It's not virgin. Although maidens are often virgins, they're not. It's not the same word. Dude, Um, We got to acknowledge the chat. It's too lit. Braden, Braden said that the, the grasshopper also has four wings. <laughs> In old world Micmac, he said Yahweh, Hugh, the physician, Hugh the monogram of Bacchus, the root of Jesus, right? That became IHS. And then uh, Buddha Yoga, Osiris, Siris, Osiris, Osiris. Okay, hold on. I got to weave on this real quick. I'm sorry. I couldn't ignore it. I'm sorry. Yeah, you guys are crushing in the chat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All of you could be up here in this conversation pretty much. So I got a feeling that, you know, there's, yeah, there's so much going all over the place right now. But okay, Dylan. Okay, this is a wild weave, uh, but I just got to throw it on the table because it's calling, it's asking for it. So, um, Gosh, how do I put this all together in one fell swoop? So we're talking about birthing. We're talking about midwives. We're talking about maidens. We're talking about the anticipation of the, you know, a Messiah to come. And I'm thinking a lot about Socrates as the midwife and how the philosophers are, the chronology of these books are designed to make us think that logos, logic, reason, Socrates, was what the Jesus rode in on. Jesus came in on a donkey. Uh, a lot of my research is pointing at Socrates is literally uh, signified as a donkey. We'll just say that. Um, even more specifically, a zebra. And I know that sounds far out from left field, but uh, I think this is uh, an encoded claim that Logos and Socrates was a crypto hebra right? I think that's what is going on here. But think of those stripes of the zebra. 
Socrates is a midwife. He helps others give birth. The midwife would know zebra stripes. She would be able to read in between the lines. Socratic logic is reading between the lines. You can see through the camouflage of the logos. And that is what, uh, and I want to drop this for Donut because he was uh, weaving about, I don't know, some artist lately. She's been flashing the zebra stripes. And I just want everybody to know that that is the city. That is the seven position. That's the chariot card. That is the city. That is the, uh, the homunculus of the city. We'll just say that. It's like a golem. It's like a, a, what they expect to have reflected back to them if you are behaving civilly. I can't ignore this game. You just might have done like the, you might have broke something in the, in the fabric of uh, reality. So you said zebra. Well, where did the, Zion, uh, the Zeta come from? If you go back a couple, a civilization or so back, it looks like an eye. It's the Zion from Phoenician and Etruscan and Ocean and all these Italian cultures. Well, that is the etymology of Hebrew. And that I in it looks like a Y, essentially. Forgive my uh, shitty handwriting, but it'd be yeah. like O-B-R-I. But how do you think they pronounce it? Ready? I have not talked. I swear to God, me and Chance have not talked about this. It's in Chance, reverse. Hold on. I want Chance to see what he, what he get. He pulls out of this when I pronounce it the way the Hebrews say it. Even though that I in is an O, they say Ivri. Ivri. Not Obri, like it's spelled. Eve, three, go chance. Well, I mean, there's Eve in there, but as I was alluding to before, that gives us the uh, avarice of Egypt or Avernus, where this Sybil was at the command Sybil, A V R or A V R. Yeah, but Eve is in there. Blame Gabe. Blame Eve. Eve Open that one. And Eve is also the uh, Yod Hey Vav. Right. Wow. And everybody puts themselves in the position of these main characters. Everybody who has consumed this logos has put themselves in the position of Socrates on trial, Jesus on trial. You know what I mean? Uh, Every one of these heroes shares a genetic commonality, and that is that they were born out of some divine whatever some god came down and got with their mama because their mom was so fine so fine the god just couldn't keep his hands off my mama all right sorry that's awesome that's if you make the if you change the z to an s and the r to an l it's sebla sebla sebel 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 what (laughs) constellation guys has two donkeys or two asses in it crouched between two burdens is it cancer Yep. The keystone of the Royal Arch. Keystone of the Royal Arch, man. This is such a trip. Manger. Like, I can't believe how many ways it keeps proving itself out. Like, even, in the, you know, the manger has uh, the animals, generally. You know, there's camels, obviously, three. And then there's your your manger animals. But often there's a donkey. When it, For us, in our culture, it was always a donkey. But I'm telling you, there's something fascinating about t- just tweaking Socrates from a donkey to a zebra. Uh, and, and I, without derailing everything, uh, one, one of the secrets and one of the reasons why this speaks to me personally, I'm, I mean, it's, it's obnoxious how it speaks to me is because Capoeira is the zebra dance. 
And when I got that hex put on me for wearing shoes when I wasn't supposed to be wearing shoes, well, guess what? Socrates, yeah, his acolytes don't wear shoes. And I got a hex put on my knees because I wore shoes in the in the cult uh, that is uh, barefoot. Uh, and so the all of this long is- distance runners are Mexicans and they go barefoot. <laughs> yeah, man. And Socrates, Dude, Capoeira, where the grass goes back. Yeah, man. Uh, and Socrates was a brilliant uh, wrestler and an acrobatic uh, master. So, like, something is really crazy coming at uh, Plato's Republic from the Capoeira angle. And it's all about the zebra. Somehow the zebra has, like, opened up doors for me in a real special way. I'll shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that was wild. I, I'd never, I'm glad you did that. We're, everybody is having, huge mental explosions. I'm not in a rush chance, so you can still oh, sell doing pretty you, good. Don't, we're don't about, get worried if you feel like, man, these guys won't I, shut up. I'm trying to get through my slides. We'll I know I know how to run the ship. You know, I, I want to put I want to put one more thing on the zebra and the keystone arch. Z is the last letter. What is the last stone that you put in when you're making an archway? Is the keystone. It's the last one to go in. So the letter Z as the omega, so to say, even though it's the seventh letter, right? Zeta is position number seven. Well, it's the seventh month also. Uh, and also, one more thing, clever, cleaver, cleaved hooves, the shape of a donkey's foot is also oh, there. Yep, and it's also the shape of the crab's claw. Isn't that weird that the, the cloven hoof is also a crab's claw? There's, it's so fascinating, uh, which is a, a missing keystone mark, right? That and it's in clove is in gover. Okay, all right. All right, I'll interchange. It's going to be a long the night zebra tonight. has those, uh, those white and black stripes like day and night too. Right, man. Yeah. And it sets up the checkerboard floor for the point of exchange. It is the point of exchange in the Analima. Uh, we could just go on and on. But yeah, the zebra thing is so gratifying. We knew this was going to be a gravy portal. Yeah, yeah. We're here for the gravy portal. I just put the slides oh, wait, to wait. have a skeleton for us to put a lot of meat on. I got, okay, I got one more, one more, one more, one more. In Greek, in Greek, uh, tone, T-O-N is like, a, is like a name, you know, like I would be Gabe Tone or Poseidon. And, you know, Don is just like a end of the name. So Zedon or would be like... Or Set, Set is the donkey god, Ton, right? So you have Satan. Satan's a fucking zebra, guys. <laughs> Satan is a zebra. Which I would, in the chat said scorpions also. Scorpio has pincers. Has pincers, yeah. But yeah, this thing about this is the zebra. I'm not trying to vilify zebras. I love zebras. But isn't it fascinating that reading between the lines aspect of the camouflage message of Socratic information? Uh, I think this, I'm new to this realization. So like I have to incorporate this and I go look at what I thought I knew. And I realize these guys, anytime you see them signaling a gadfly or something annoying to the, to the society, they're probably uh, coming at this from that Socratic scientific optimist take over the world angle. All right. I'm ranting. Oh, that's nice. What is that? This is Satan. This is Jesus. <laughs> And this is a zebra. 
<laughs> oh my god! Who found what is that from? Who found that? I just I just found that. <laughs> I just googled uh, Satan is a zebra, and that was what I found. So, well, you also there. have uh, the claws of the scorpion. Uh, that that's what Libra used to be called, as uh, someone pointed out. Kele. Yeah. I love that. That is so fun. And again, you know, and that's another thing about you know the evil energy has to be on the. Uh, sent out of away from the from the population so like z is the last letter so it goes away from everybody but let's point out that some people's alphabet goes in the other direction some people when the sacrifice goes away from the city it's going closer to another person's city and vice versa what is this she's right jenny's right gabe is overdue for a big weavy vibrant thank you jenny thank you thank you I've been I've been holding it all in. <laughs> oh, that's good. The cloven hoof crab claw when he held up his hand is the sign of blessing of the Shekinah, live long and prosper. <laughs> or the as uh, Freeman Fry, nice Fry pointed out, shock and awe. Remember the start of the Iraq war? war? Shock, and awe. shock and awe. Shock and awe campaign. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready to move uh, into continuing? I think you should ask your audience because uh, we're you, we're we're dialing it. <laughs> Churning the really gravy butter. Okay, so we were talking about Cyrus being a type of Christ. Here's why this is important. I'm going to read from Godfrey Higgins. This is just to help you wrap your minds around the concept that is so important here. The prophecy of Isaiah may be said to have been a mystery, an example of judicial astrology. It required no divine inspiration to prove to the initiated that at the end of the cycle then running, a new cycle would commence, or that the cycle of the god Krishna, the sun, would be born again. And this leads to a discovery which will account for and remove many of the difficulties which our learned men have encountered respecting Buddha and Krishna. It is evident that both of them, being the sun, mystically and astrologically speaking, their year was 600 years long, and their birthday on the first year of the 600, on which was a conjunction of the sun and moon at the vernal equinox. The day of the first birth of Buddha was at the vernal equinox of that 600 when the sun entered Taurus. of Krishna of that 600 nearest to the time when he entered Aries. The birthdays of both returned every 600 years when the Finn or Finnish or Phoenix was consumed on the altar of the temple of the sun at Heliopolis, Egypt and rose from its ashes to a new life. So remember about Cyrus 600 BC is when he's supposed to have been born at 600 years before Christ. (laughs) Okay, so that's the Nero's. We need to know about that. Oh, yeah. Jenny just bought me a sweet zebra stone. You can bring it in here. I'll show it off since we're on the zebra topic. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) I've been using it for for the right ankle on my tuning table when I've been doing tunings. I'm going to start saying abracazabra. (laughs) Abracazabra. I think she's going to go get it so I can show off the cool zebra stone she got me. It is pretty sweet. So you guys have anything to say about the Nero's or the 600? We can move on. We can move forward if you don't. 
No, we've touched on that a bunch of times. Unless Gabe does, we can, you know. Yeah, the Nero's is like a, a very arcane term for this cycle. It's been really well concealed. But it's it, well, it's we can there. give a teaser for, uh, you know, I'm kind of retiring from doing prepared podcasts uh, until we do our Spirit World one. But we've got a special one coming up on August 18th. And so the old Nero's used to be 608. That's what they believed it was, which is the old monogram of Bacchus that became IHS or IES, the root of Jesus. Right in the Jesuit logo, but also in the Egypto Greek, you have um, free, which is if you write it in runes, free. So that might matter to people who are asking us about Oralinda in Phrygia, or when you keep in mind that. The G in Greek acts like a Y, right? So Phrygians are Phrygians. Sun, free, and for those who don't know, that's the sun, free. Isn't there like a a Frigg? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that a Norse god? Freya, right? Friga, Freya. It looks yeah, like buddy. Friga, right? And so Not I'm going to broach that, G, that subject with him. That G can be a Y sound. So Friga yes, is Freya. Yeah, yeah, Friga yeah. and Freya are the same. It's like one of those many cases where it's just dialectical differences of pronunciation. And then the mainstream is like, there's a Friga and there's a Freya and they're different gods. What's Bacchus <laughs> called? Liber Pater, the free father. What's that? What's that cap that Mithra swears? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Phrygian, Phrygian cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Hellespontine Sybil is Phrygian. That's a that's the Phrygian Sybil. Totally. And you know, it's uh, kind of interesting that uh, you know that cap is on the uh, the seal of the. Pretty sure it's the Senate. It's the seal of the Senate has that hat, and that hat it it indicates like reversing roles, like the slave becomes the master, master becomes the slave. We're going to flip flop, but that's just interesting because in politics, that's what happens. Like one time it's, these guys are the boss of these guys. And then it flip flops. So the hat kind of represents turning of tables, I think. Right. Chance. I don't, I don't know about the turning of tables, Gabe. Sorry. Um, but if you look in the note and click that, you'll see attrition armor that looks like that. Korean or that Liber cap, uh, oh. cap of Liberty, the Liberty oh. cap. Wow. That's found in Cortona, Italy, allegedly. And it's bronze. And so the reason this is important is because what's required to make bronze? Tin. What well, was one of the only places where the tin was coming from? Britain. Britain. And it was a Phoenician secret for the, from like the whole world for thousands of years. Right. So this is why I think maybe the Americas were kept secret too, because maybe there was something going on, whether it's gold trade or something coming from the Americas that they wanted to keep secret. Yep. Definitely yep. a lot of gold in the Americas. And also, also, like, look at the top of this hat. You could call that a fin. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the ocean. And the, yep, oh, it's a fin helmet. Oh Remember when we did God. that podcast with Mario when we talked about the Tepkines, the philosopher, oh. Lords of the Sea? 
you could almost that could almost be like uh steering their thoughts like what's on the face guard look yeah. the sphinx on the face guard wow they're actually telling you to riddle this out they're literally saying riddle this out that is fun but it's also like fine it's also like the end of thinking it's also the end of your life if you're seeing this like the fin there's so much to that that's cool I like the comment here from who posted this. It would have been quite a sight when originally highly polished. That's the thing is like, we look at all this stuff like, oh, it's just old busted shit. But in its prime, that can you imagine making that? Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. So uh, one quick thing. Like a plus 50 plus 50 strength enchantment. <laughs> so whenever we hear brass or you know that tin and copper nine is a nine to ten nine tenths brass one tenth uh excuse me nine tenths copper one tenth ten is the recipe and that is also the recipe for ownership in the law you know ownership is nine tenths of the law so that that proportion and it also has to do with tithing and tax and charging, all those things and electricity. It's it's all there in the language and in the alchemy when you hear brass. And what is the Phoenician, Etrusco Phoenician Jupiter? Tinya, also just known as tin, T-I-N. And what does Jupiter correspond to in alchemy? Tin. There's something to this. Ding, ding, ding. And then, I, you know, back to the Malachite with all of its <laughs> copper in it. We're, we're looking at another copper-related artifact. And I don't know what Malachite is spelled like in Hebrew off the top of my head, but MLK is going to be Moloch, king. Whoa. That made me... Yeah. I had to immediately look it up. <laughs> Apparently, the root in Hebrew means glistening. We need to, I need to spend more time looking into that. That's a good question. Mm. all right so now we're going to go into the sibylline books i've already told the story so i kind of repeated it in the slides accidentally about the acquisition of the sibylline books by lucius tarquinus the last king of rome but what's important about these books is that i'll read the slide the keepers of the sibylline books had the superintendents of the worship of apollo of the great mother, Kybel, which is the same word as Sybil, or Magna Mater, and of Ceres, who, <laughs> which is CRS, Chris? Dude, <laughs> what, was, what was Britain called? It was called by the Phoenicians and everybody else, the queen, the seat of Queen Ceres, because it was the granary for that part of the world. Just like Egypt was the granary from the southern Mediterranean. Bingo. So the worship of Apollo, Cybele, and Ceres, or Ceres were introduced allegedly upon recommendations interpreted from the Sibylline books that the Romans purchased or inherited somehow. They, the books uh, supposedly report the birth of an androgyne and prescribe a long list of rituals and offerings to the gods. I think Ceres is the androgyne. And I think it became Christ or Cress later. It became masculine only 
which is interesting because before that things usually went from androgyne to female through castration. But, uh, you know, Higgins has a lot to say about the sort of feud between the cults of the Yoni versus the phallus and that sometimes they were united and sometimes they were at odds with each other. Continuing in the slide, the from the capital, the Sibylline books were transferred by Augustus, who was Pontifex Maximus, to the temple of Apollo Palatinus. After they had been examined and copied, there they remained until 405 AD. And then General Flavius burned them as they were being used to attack his government. That's the story. Now, I want to get into this is where it gets good. Who is this Magna Mater? <laughs> Who's this Kybel or Sibel? The mother goddess of Phrygia is where this originates. There's your Frigg, uh, you know, according to the mainstream history on this, which is Anatolia or modern Turkey, Phrygia in Anatolia. In Phrygia, Kybel was known as Matar Kubilia. 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 Kubilia is an epithet meaning of the mountain or mountain. So we're talking about which Mount Ida, which is right there in Anatolia, famous to the Greeks. And it's also Mount Maru. You know, it's all Mount Ararat. It's all the sacred mountain, world mountain, etc. Other goddesses called Magna Mater, Isis of Egypt, Maya, the mother of Hermes, Rhea, the consort of Saturn. Rhea, she's Ma Rhea, Maria, Mary. She's the mother Rhea. <laughs> and uh, most importantly, the the eunuch priesthood that was dedicated to Cybele and her consort Attis, where they were called the Gali. Good Gali. The Gali. The Gauls. <laughs> so they were P eunuched? Were, were they punicked for being born? <laughs> <laughs> well, with that interchange, also Kali. Yeah, buddy. There you go. I think Kali, yeah, C to G interchange. Kali would definitely want to take your. Mm -hmm. So, so I have yeah. a, I have a theory and this is kind of, um, you know, missing, missing time hypothesis kind of stuff. But whenever we see like ISIS and Egypt, I think we're, we're, we're seeing a plug, a plug, a skip where they're attributing all this Egyptian stuff down to the, you know, that part of by the Nile river. But I think we should also consider like a cliff note, uh, parenthetical information every time we see that. I think we should also think about uh, Spain and the possibility of like, um, uh, what, it, what was she called? Isabel. Isabel was the queen of Spain. Her name is literally how a Spanish accent says the word Cybele. The is is just how they say S words. So her name is not Isabel. Her name is just straight up Cybele. And so and who were the people in that region in Spain? What were they called? The Gauls. The Gauls. Yes. And there's a, there's a, this thing between the Gauls, which would be a lot more uh, French and the Spanish, which were, had this Muslim Sephardic Catholic thing, turmoil going on. Uh, is very fascinating, but I just need to really highlight the fact that the Queen of Spain was literally just straight up called Cybele. 
And we uh, give that's her mind blowing. I never thought of that. Yeah, we put that little E on the front and it puts a what does it put on the word? It puts a glimmer. It puts a mascara. It puts a grimoire over your eyes and you just don't see it because you don't speak Spanish. Well, grimoire dude, and dude, the same hold word. on. Stop the fucking gravy portal right now. Old World Micmac just brought something up. He said Sable Island. Sable. What, what's a sable? It's a fucking ferret. It's used in heraldry. Well, yes. what, was, what was Spain named after? The Phoenicians called it Spania. Land because it ponies. had so many of the conies and the fucking rabbits. So they had terminated. To... Yes. Yes. It is philologically civil. <laughs> and, and, it's, uh, and it's extermination. That's the other thing. It's coming in to uh, to wipe out the rabbits. Uh, it's very fascinating. Yeah, they, they appealed allegedly. They appealed to Augustus to send Roman soldiers to help them wipe the rabbits out. That's interesting because that actually brings to mind something that I, you know, I didn't really know what to make of in this book by Milton Terry from 1899, his translation of the Sibylline Oracles which is not the same as the sibling books that the Romans had. It's like later books, but he said something about the Sibyls being in the same realm as polecats and monsters. And polecats is another name for ferrets. So <laughs> that blows my mind. That oh, this- Pila is gate. Pila gate. Are they gates of the uh, gate? Cats of the, at the gate that guard the gate. I like was those Egyptian ones. I really yeah. was like, What's the polecat have to do with it? It's funny that this is coming up. I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was Da Vinci. I might be wrong on the artist, but the, the there have been artists in the past who have used that exact animal uh, to signal uh, the you know the Merovingian bloodline. Uh, and I think it has more to do with Machiavelli in the Merov um, in the Medici's. It's in the Medici's that they have those that they have those ferrets. Uh, in their artistry and they carry them with their uh, matrons it's like in their the matrons have these ferrets and it's supposed to be carried representing the christ uh but it's gonna you know weed out the rabbits which is probably you know culture war they're weeding out the rabbis you know the this uh the hellenization of each other's mythology we'll just say that you know I was just about to say that. I was just about you beat me. I was about to say, what color does it correspond to in heraldry? And what are we saying about this winter archetypes? Yes. Damn, you know, black. I wanna, table is black. I want to say this while we're still, while the Spain thing is on the table. Um, you know, there's a, there's a much ink has been spilled on the phrase. What is there in common between Athens and Jerusalem? What do they have in common? And so many people have pontificated on that, but I wouldn't have just flipped the script on everybody. They were both ancient Italian before everyone tried to take them over. Well, if you put Jerusalem in Barcelona, if Jerusalem becomes Jerusalem, if you turn Jerusalem into Barcelona, what is in between Barcelona and in Athens? Rome. What is in the middle of Rome and Jerusalem? Or uh, Athens and Jerusalem, the answer is Rome is in between. If you put Jerusalem in Spain where it belongs in Barcelona. So if you look up the Lemnos Stel, uh, it's L-E-M-N-O-S-S-T-E-L-A, you'll see this is all Etruscan writing, 
that they try to pass off as Greek, but you, it shows you how all up in everybody's business this ancient maritime empire got. And this is this is the thing that they're covering up, whether it's the church, whether it's a cultural thing. I don't know. But you can see that this system exists because of this ancient empire, whatever you want to call them. And they were they got their power from mining metals. And this is a skill set that only certain people learned how to do. And in order to go everywhere and transport this stuff everywhere, you needed the navigator. But if people want to look up where the Lemnostel is found, like that island, it's so far up into like the Greek territory. That's why they tried to pass it off as Greek. Wow. The Lemnos Stele, a funerary inscription from the 6th century BC that links the Pelasgians to the Etrurians. We already knew that. (laughs) They're like, Dionysius. Link is there. Dionysius Halicarnassus, and then everybody else. The Pelagians and the, the um, Tyrrhenians were interchangeable. That's what everyone all over the world called them. And if you look at to the west coast of Italy, it's the Tyrrhenian Sea. Those are Arturians. Mediterranean. Miller. Yeah, that, that, that term is uh, hitting a chord for me because um, it's Lemon Star. It's an anagram for the Lemon Star. What's the lemon star? You got to learn us. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm thinking it's on the Brazilian flag. Uh, it's also a solemn star, so it's all alone. I think it's a north star. I'm getting big north star vibes out of that, but it makes me think of the Brazilian flag because it's a uh, lemons and limes. It's a uh, we sing about the Brazilian flag in Capoeira, but I wonder if it's on that flag because it has a big dipper on one side, and then there's another constellation on the other side. Be interesting if that. Uh, if that same star was in there. Well, when I looked it up, it looks like a, like a, a pentagram type of, it looks like a Venus, a Venusian or whatever symbol. Oh, okay. And okay. Yeah. That, well, then it would be yellow, I guess that kind of does track. I dig it. Booty yoga brought up a good point that I meant to, I meant to make this comment. When we see the Magna Mater referring to Maya, the mother of Hermes, there's a, you know, I forgot to say it because it's been said a bunch of times, but we need to make sure everyone's aware. Maya is Mary, Mary, or Maya is also the mother of Buddha. That was Buddha Yoga's comment. So Hermes and Buddha have a mother with the same name. Nice. And Mira is the mother of Adonis. So that phonetic for the Magna Mater, the mother of the savior is replete. And let's keep in mind that as the mother of Adonis, Mira is transformed into a tree and that a myrrh tree or Mira, like frankincense and myrrh. And that that seed or the seed that drops from the myrrh tree goes down into Hades or the underworld where it sprouts and becomes Adonis. And that's, going to be important because it's pretty much the exact same story as Kybel and Attis. And we'll get to that a little later. <laughs> yes. Adonai, the hidden one. Uh, so uh, Turkey has is where the Temple to Hades was. We talked about this a while back, but uh, Dylan, I just want to put it on your radar you know, put a post-it note somewhere somewhere on your conspiracy corkboard. I'm thinking that Turkey 
might actually mean torch. And they're actually, the entire name of the whole country is a huge reveal for the fact that if you want to know what's really going on here, you're going to need a light source and go underground. I think Turkey, the entire fucking place, is an t- underground tunnel system. What's that town? It's called Cap. Is it Cappadocia? There, there's a lot of underground cities in Turkey for sure. So yeah, much. we covered we covered a good chunk of it, and but just a really a per, small percentage when we did that episode on the Cloaca Maxima and other underground mysteries. Yes, That's a huge okay. part of this. Yeah, I didn't realize I was muted, guys. When I, while I was pulling that up, I meant to say uh, Adonis when you said Mira. That's the God of the Old Testament, and that Aduni, Adonai, right? It's, a, it's a U, it's a Vav, not a No. There's no reason to call it. I don't. There's something going on with this modern Hebrew. What they've done is really bad. But Adonis, they chose Adonis because he was beautiful versus Jehovah, who's ugly. And this is Phoenician, and this is going to tie into what I have prepared for the Sybils when we're done with these, if we have time. Nice, man. Yeah. This is you a know, good comment uh, from Illuminati. The Limnos stone that we were just looking at, according to Wilson and Blackett, represents Brutus of Troy to commemorate his vision from the goddess or Sybil telling him to travel to Britain for a homeland. That is a fucking humdinger, buddy. I was it thinking is. about, uh, Chance, can you pull up the number 10 uh, fortune card? Because I was thinking about it this whole time when he said lemon. Uh, I'm that is spot on. God, that is so spot on. The only challenge, uh, though, is you don't. Can you, so can you know that those people. Oh, sorry. It's OK. But yeah, uh, 10 because of the 10 again, card number 10, Britain. And then if you can do the Thoth deck. It's better. So while he pulls that up, yeah. I was pretty say quick on the draw. Uh, so this is lemon. This is when you cut a lemon. This is a side per perspective of the lemon. But guess what? It doesn't have this many segments. A lemon actually has nine segments anatomically, uh, which uh, goes back to the old calendar systems uh, way, way back. But I just had to say this because it was it just kept buzzing in my ear because you said the lemon star. And this has been uh, revealed itself as a lemon uh, to me. Uh, so I just wanted to say it, put it on, put it on the record. Well, it's kind of interesting because if you look at that Oralinda book, one of the ways they derive that alphabet is from the, it's from a wheel like that, but it looks like yeah. the, the hero, right? It's, it's like a pie. It looks exactly, it's like got six instead of yeah. nine or 12 or whatever. Whoa, yeah. we should tell Dr. Longo that the oranges have 10 segments. Just look up oranges. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, okay, that is interesting. That there's a, yeah, there's a difference depending on the fruit. So well, this, this, this card to me is Deus Ex Mechina. This is like some savior is going to come down and, and save the day. This is uh, the clouds, Aristophanes comedy, the clouds. This is the basket that Socrates is floating around, worshiping... Uh, the new God is now called Vortex. And that is crucial right there because Vortex means different people to different cultures and people fought over Vortex once upon a time in their understanding of physics. But he's explaining this to a guy who thought that the winds weren't caused by Vortex. He thought that was the gods pissing on us. 
You know, so, Vortex is, is Hercules in astrotheology, right? Oh my God, I believe it. I totally believe it because we're not far from Vortex. It's the, storm, it's the storm god. It's Indra. It's Thor. It's all the ones that wield the Vajra. Because depending That's on cool. how you look at the constellation of Hercules, it's either the kneeling warrior with the holding the Vajra above his head, or yeah. it's like a sort of like a swastika type vortex. That's the vortex. That's the primal chaos. That's the creator deity. That's where nice. it's all coming from. Where nice. I don't know where you're getting the vortex comment, but it's it fits. From, it's a, it fits. This is a, so this is a comedy written about Socrates. So it's fictional. It didn't really happen. It's a, it's a, it's like somebody making fun of Socrates. So he's up in a basket in his thinkery. He's got a think tank and he's up in his basket floating around on a crane being lifted by a crane. Now the crane is essential to Deus Ex Machina. It always has to be a crane that comes and saves the day with some symbol of the state that pacifies you and lets you go to sleep. So you get a sense of resolution at the end of the show. So when, uh, um, Elon changed his wants to change it to X. He wants to change. He wants to end the show. He wants to bring the big savior down and bring Deus Ex Machina from the clouds so the vortex can save us all. And it's also the Nazi bell. So what I have here, if you zoom in on all the way in the right, that right font right there, yeah, that's Erkle, right? You'll see in Etruscan, it's going from right to left, like Hebrew, H-E-R-C-L-E. That's Hercules. Uh, you also see the very next name. You'll see M-E-N-R-V-A, Minerva. But it looks like an F, right? Because going back to why these letters are all interchangeable, like the digamma, all that stuff was, it had like V-U-W-Y. It had a bunch of functions. Um, but what I wanted to say is like going addressing that person's Illuminati's comment about Wilson and that Lemnos allegedly speaking to like ancient Britons. The thing is though, the Etruscan inscription of Lemnos is not seen in Britain. It's seen in Italy. And so while I've written a book that Chance narrated, it's a great book. People should read it and listen to it specifically. Uh, it, it shows that Britain was peopled by the Phoenicians. But what Swinton, what uh, Gorius, and what Assel came up with is they came up with an earlier alphabet that only had 12 to 13 letters. That was ancient attrition. Uh, Swinton had it at 13 letters. Gorius and uh, Assel had it at 12 letters. If this is true, and Higgins touched upon this, it means the first alphabet was actually Etruscan. And it means the Italians are the oldest culture. If not, they are descended from the oldest culture. And when you look up like the oldest Tamilese inscription in India, it's only 250 BC. This plate mirror is older than the oldest Indian inscription, just so everybody knows what we're looking at. This is an awesome artifact, man. This is one of the best artifacts, and it, it was really hard for me to find. Like These plate mirrors are hard to come by because a lot of them, they're just sketches. Like What they would do is they would travel to these museums. So when you see them in books, they're sketches of them. They're not the actual artifacts. So actually mm -hmm. tracking them down is hard. It's, it's a really cool. good photo. Nice, dude. Yeah, man. And I love it. 
Obstia, what a freaking nice super chat, man. Thank you. Hey. We will stay in our flow. We might be here for four hours tonight. <laughs> Anything for Gabe and Chance. There's no time limit for me, mofos. I'm here for you guys. All right, let's party. We really are the three amigos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to this slide. I, yeah, know I, I, I while, missed but... you guys. I'm not going to lie. I was getting kind Same. of sick. <laughs> Same. We missed. I missed Gabe because I had to do a bunch of shows without Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> I like. It doesn't work with. It's not the same without you, man. It's been, oh, that's, it's been really nice to have you back tonight. So, right. and you know, Dylan, you're always welcome. You're as yeah, but we as stay as in touch through text. So you was you went longer without Gabe. Gabe is on <laughs> vacation. But in this slide oh. of uh, Kybel. You would, if you're familiar with Rhea, the consort of Saturn, you would think that this was just a statue of her, but this is supposedly from Phrygia, and it's supposed to be Cybele. You see the the headdress. This is a fortress. She's the goddess of fortresses. So that's an important symbol to be aware of when you see the like the turret headdress or the turret crown. It's like yeah. a, a castle or a fortress. Because she's the strong goddess or the mother of the strong god. Fortis, strong. And then right. it's a little hard to make up, but this is the horn of plenty or the cornucopia. This is the symbol you'll see all over. And she's got a lion at her feet. So those three things, we just want to have those in mind. Just out of curiosity, Chance. So Fortis, right? The, the family that my Caesar mated with or whatever that came to me. The Venetian family is called Fortini. Type that in and just see it in the images and see what comes up if there's a shield. Because I would like to see you to see this. So you could be like, oh, God. You can see what it is. Okay, r- real quick. Uh, these are just little side notes while you're looking that up. If you use the word turkeys, like possessive turkeys, and say it in reverse, it's secret. T-U-R-K-E-Y-S in reverse is S-Y-E-K-R-U-T. Secret. So turkeys in reverse is secret. Just had to say that. And then also the, the castle on her head is hive mindedness. It's like, you know, we're all of one thought. We're we're and we're also closed off. If you don't if you don't speak the language of this city, then you're not in my head. Another thing about forty or fortis is it's like forty, like the number forty. Oh, which is the number of weeks in a gestation cycle. This is Magna Mater, the great mother. Excellent. You know, it also 40 is relevant to the uh, cycle of Venus. Right. It's the retrograde period of Venus. Your so, Fortini baby formula, Dylan, looks like bad news. <laughs> Stephen Fortini family crest. Something like that. Okay. I, I just typed in Fortini and it's apparently baby formula. Medical baby formula. Gross. So uh, just a couple. Uh, Charles Fort, may the force be with you. Forte. Charles Fort, the whole one of the whole secrets to that cosmology is that there are crystals under the earth that charge the phenomenon. All of this is very uh, Kyber crystal, Kybel crystal oriented. This is all what fuels the Jedi mythos. This oh, is yeah, the Kyber crystals are what you need for a lightsaber, just so the non-nerds will know what you're referring to. Yep. So may the force be with you is a nod to the Magna Mater. It's also, it's not just Charles Forte or Fort or Force. 
It's also 40 degrees was the old month. Now, hang in there with me. This is a hard one to swallow. We're going into La La Land. We'll come right back, I promise. Uh, I believe I hold space for a paradigm where time worked differently. Uh, Hermes is, okay, this is hard to describe, but it's basically 360 degrees divided into nine months uh, generates 40 degrees per month. And so I really do believe that the uh, the shape and way of the realm has altered from its original format. And so 40 was the original length of a month. Uh, and I could flush that out more, but it's just fascinating how it all adds up actually mathematically. It's a nice balance if you do nine months. Illuminati wanted to ask if what you were referring to about the language and Italian being the oldest civilization, what book that's in. I would say the Holy Sailors has some gravy on that, but Dylan, yeah, pick that, pick that up. That he's going he, he to be it. writing more. It's all in my Substack. All of this research is going to be in my Substack, and then I'm going to make, I'm going to refine it into a book. But you'll have images and stuff in there from. So, like the thing about Swinton and all these guys, Gregorius. They all write in Latin and shit. So it's like, it's really a bitch. But there's some people that have made like little charts and stuff like Morton at a table. So there's a lot of stuff that I'll, it's all in my sub stack. But look at that, Fortini, look at that, Jance. Venetian. Yeah, dude, there's the sea serpent. Gnarly. And Gabe, what you said about the 40-day months, that's profound. I didn't comment, but it's profound. I'm going to oh, move us move yes. forward. Uh, one, more, one more footnote. Fortune is, uh, when they, from now on, because we just looked at the fortune card, right? And here we are on 14. Uh, fortune was uh, has um, Machiavelli's fingerprints on it. I just wanted to say that. He kind of had this thing where if you're not going to follow the rules, then you're going to have to count on fortune. You better hope that you're lucky if you don't follow the rules. So he put fortune on my map. So it's always going to have his fingerprints forever. And you I've seen him. Me. What's that? You just beat me to it because fortune is TK, Lady Luck. TK, T-T-Y-C-H-E, which is also Tico, Tico Brahi. Would you believe it if I told you that I've got a, that TK or Tish is coming up in the slides? <laughs> it was meant to be, man. The, the gods we're, have we're so in sync. Like, so whenever this happens, that like you know we're coming up with each other's information or synchronicities is like demonstrating that this is a system. It's something you can comprehend. There's you can wrap your head around it. It's it's internally consistent. You know, it's a real deal. All right. Okay, so this is one. This was new to me. Uh, the precursor to Kybel or syncretized to Kybel is the androgyne god Agdistus or Agdistus. And the mountain Agdistus was personified as a daemon. <clears throat> I did, took the liberty of doing some kind of maybe a little stretchy uh, etymology, but Ag could be Ark because people say that. Say the A with an R all the time. Just listen to how like people in Boston will say a word with an A sound in it. You know, they'll get a they'll put the R in even though it's not there. 
So A-R-C instead of A-G, and then T-O-S instead of D-I-S. I think that it's kind of there. Agdistis could be, Ar- could be an Arctos, but that's just a food for thought. It's not a claim. Pausanias was told that the daemon Agdistis initially bore both male and female sexual organs. The gods were afraid of the power of this divine androgyne. And so Dionysus or Liber tied Agdistus's foot to their penis when they were asleep, actually gave them a sleeping potion to force them to sleep. And then when they were startled awake, Agdistus stood up and the penis was ripped off. (laughs) And the payback was Bacchus and Dionysius were ripped to pieces. Yeah, right. And then from the blood, an <laughs> almond tree grew, which went on to begat Addis. Addis came from the blood of the almond tree that came, you know, from the castrated Agdistus. Do you guys What's see? An almond? That's a mando- mandorla. That's the yoni. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. And do you see the sink there between the castrated Kronos and the foam of on the sea from which? Aphrodite Springs. Castor and Pol- Poltuke. Castor and Pollux. Those are exclusively Etruscan or Trucian. And that almond shape is the hull of a boat. Very good. Yeah. And specifically, though, the almond as a symbol for the vagina or the mandorla, the vesica species, the portal, the birth portal, the womb. That is important. And so, as I already brought up, the the goddess Mira or Mira, the mother of Adonis, has a very similar situation. She's turned into a tree, and that tree goes on to beget Adonis. Adonis and Attis, not that far off, you know, add add at um and Attis has all kinds of crazy shit. He's self-castrated. He's Stop right now. Booty <laughs> yoga. I like that. Almond, god of earth. Again, here we have fucking Hebrews. That they translate, they spell uh, L A L, and they transliterated E L, but it's A L. Mm-hmm. And Mond Mundis, the world, god of the world. Yeah, and Mond is also Mont, like Mount, a mountain, the sacred mountain. So when we're talking about Gaia or Gay, it's both the earth and a mountain, just like the sacred mountain or or the the Ark or the Argo lands or Noah's Ark. That the Ark is the microcosm of the entire earth that holds and preserves the the generations into the next cycle. But the earth itself is the arc in the macrocosm, the whole earth, as it preserves life into the next cycle through its capturing of, you know, the souls or the daemons or the demons, the dead, deceased in the underworld, just as the seed goes into the earth and then new life is generated, that whole cyclical thing. So the mount, mond. And Earth and the whole world—that's definitely there because it's like the macro, micro. The Ark is the Earth. The Earth is the Ark. What if that GE is throwing you for a for a loop and it's pronounced like a Y? Then you have Yay. 
i.e. the epithet for Apollo, or God in Hebrew. G-E could be a-ye, or hey. Oh, yeah, Jesus. like, you mean gay as in Gaia? Could be yay. Yeah, so, so yeah, that yeah, G-E could be yay. Yeah. Not in Gaia, but you know how there's that other spelling of just G, it's like an archaic spelling of yeah, just dude. G-E? Yeah, dude, 100%, dude. I think, I've, I think I've put that in a slide some other day one time, but <laughs> that's uh, totally there. Exactly, and that's important because... I probably, I think I've just talked about that as I was interviewed on someone else's podcast, but that's important to comprehend because it's the androgyne gay or Gaia is yay or Yahweh They're The mother is the father is the son. They're all one entity. It's the three in one. That's part of the system as well. As we know. <laughs> so now I'm going to... So Gaelic could be Yaelic. <laughs> Gaul could be Yaelic. Y'all. <laughs> Y'all, Y'all coming down from those mountains and the Siskiyou mountains? <laughs> yeah, that's true, though. That's uh, It's easy to forget that one. The G, the gamma being a Y. It's very easy to forget that one. Why it's handy to learn how to speak some Greek. So the sibling oracles are separate from the sibling books that we were talking about. The sibling oracles are a collection of oracular utterances that are ascribed to the sibyls. 14 books, eight fragments. They survive in an edition from the 6th or 7th century AD. And so these were really popular with the early church fathers. And they're not to be confused with the original sibling books of the ancient Etruscans or Etrurians and the Romans that were burned by General Flavius. They are called, the sibling oracles are called an odd pastiche of Hellenistic and Roman mythology interspersed with Jewish, Gnostic, and early Christian legend. What the mainstream doesn't understand when they call it an odd pastiche is it's all the same system and it's not interspersed because of some kind of weird eclecticism, but because it is the, it's the same thing. Yeah, you know, one thing I want to uh, put on the record here while we're talking about its proliferation and, you know, uh, all the, di- you know, three different blind men holding the elephant and describing a snake. Uh, one thing that uh, really was gratifying to me was in my research, I found out that uh, if you can think of any way to spell uh, Sybil, you can, I mean, and I can think of probably, I mean, we're talking about K-Y-B-E-L, K-Y-B-Y-L. I mean, every variation you can think of, it's very likely there was probably on the whole list that you could spend 20 minutes right in every way you could think of it. There was probably a sect of a Sibylline that went by that particular spelling. And so something I've learned about the Sibyls, some of the, one of the most important lessons of the Sibyls is how to break spells. Just by meditating on the word Sybil and finding it all through our language and all the various symbols, I have been able to break spells because of that. And so when you see Kabbalah, when you see a a cobbler, a shoemaker, somebody who makes shoes, you know, this is all in Plato's Republic. They specifically identify the, the business of making shoes. Well, this is all Kabbalistic language. These are all from the Sibyls. And they encode these sounds and these languages, and they take the greatest liberties on spelling. So I just want to give everybody permission to spell this any fucking way you can find it. Dude, if you just remove, if you just break the word down to the bones of the word, 
SBL, the B and P interchange. So you have spell right there. Oh my God. You fucking. I told stars. you a BV portal was opening. <laughs> He's Dude, just doing what you told him to do, Gabe. He's splitting it any which way. I intentionally didn't go crazy with the anagrams here because I got it. I wanted to respect the greatness of Gabe when we get there. <laughs> okay. Confession I was literally just whipping my dick out in the shadows to take a piss when you said that. So you caught me with my pants down. Literally, <laughs> Dylan. Smells on the earth. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, Should I turn off my camera for those things? <laughs> <laughs> it's too dark. We, no, I had no idea. In darkness, Gabriel. So I uh, think in GCAP says civil 777 in Gematria. I didn't even bring Gematria into this conversation. You know what I've never seen anybody else notice? Yamatria. Well, it's Yama, Gemma, Stone, Tria. That's Troy. The, the old world way of spelling Troy is T R O I A, the I and J interchange, hence Trojan. Right? It's the Trojan. But the O I in Greek is pronounced like E E, so it's Tria. This is the tri stone. Chance. Yeah. Chance, this is the touchstone. This is the symposium, y'all. I'm telling you. G E M, also like I'm, uh, I'm. Chem. Chem. Yeah. yeah. Chem. Okay, okay. So the hem of the dress of the Sybil is just barely touching the water. It's just barely absorbing the the, uh, diffusing substance that she's standing in. So him, and also she's speaking in hymns. You know, she's in like a weird trance uh, state. Um, But also different Sybils have different uh, uh, musical signatures. So if you're at this this symbol, you're using a, a penta a pentatone. Yes, it's these are the uh, syllables. Right now we got a chat. The thing think in G caps in the chat. Highlight that Sybil siblings. <laughs> wow. Yes, and even yes. Oh my gosh. See, they're going. We're okay. We're <laughs> gonna get the train station. Dylan warned me weeks ago that we were opening a gravy portal and that it was yeah, we might drown yeah. in it. Okay. Yes. All right. I'm gonna try to say this all at once. There's so much more behind this single stream of information, but uh, one of the Sybils was literally at a mountain that is called like Sis. Wait, no, Syphil. Syphilis, Syphilis, something like that. The name of the mountain is basically Syphilis, but it's also Sisyphus. And this is fascinating because uh, many of the Sibylline communities, there were literally underground communities, uh, were in the under, were in Hades, which is where Sisyphus is located. But also, I have had this long-standing theory. There's so much more to it, but I think that volcanoes literally generate brain syphilis and i know that's i know there's so many receipts i would need to even come close to this but i think that certain volcanoes uh, cause brain syphilis but in certain people only in the chosen ones only in the people who are receptive to the seeding of this uh, uh fumigation of the consciousness of the world uh and I think some of the greatest minds that we've ever uh, reflected back on actually had brain syphilis uh, and were able to harness some of the effects of that and write it all out. I'm thinking of Frederick Nietzsche, basically. Frederick Nietzsche, uh, also uh, Frederick 
no, Edvund Munch. Edwund Munch, the artist, they both died of brain syphilis, but I think they got it from the same volcano. I think they both got it from Krakatoa. So I wonder if there's relation to, you know, castrating yourself in syphilis. I wonder if there's like a high grade mind altering substance that would erode your brain so that you would be very willing to lose your junk. Yep. Just Yo. to be treated to be treated like a Sybil. If they just promised you that maybe you could carry her her garment tomorrow. It's like the ultimate gamma male wanting like the attention of the men. <laughs> and Dylan, and- Dylan. The scientific name of the bacterium that they say causes syphilis is the subspecies Pallidum. Poly. Pallis? Poly. Palladium. It's the choice stone. If you take the horse in, if you take the horse in, it's a Trojan horse. It's Sip, the, the bacteria is, is a treponema, treponema, trepony, treponema, <laughs> pallidum. Dude, you might be onto something, Gabriel. What the hell? Yeah, there's something really crazy about brain syphilis and volcanoes and... And I think mass psychosis, but, you know, we did have a fucking uh, volcano erupt uh, during the lockdowns, uh, Tonga. Do not go to the Wikipedia page for syphilis. You will see a crusty, rotting dick. I just did. It was horrible. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are just outdoing each other. Peter Shell, thank you for the super chat. Shell, yeah. Father Shell. Shell, yeah. The nice. Shell Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So this is another thing that I've learned from the Sybils, along with breaking spells. Another thing is that the more grotesque and difficult it is to look at, the more value there is if you can just get through uh, to the to what's hidden beyond. There's something about smoke screening with with syphilis or things that are so terrible. Um, for the example, Baphomet I, is the perfect example. The Baphomet is a great example where they put something horrific in the front so you don't even you don't want to go any further you're like well, i'm done looking um but yeah and uh long story short uh one of my many many rabbit holes that i went into was uh, on the death card of the writer weight deck i was pretty sure i found a map in florida that led me through the keys and i found literally an island called cockburn island that matches this random blob in the arms of the pope on the death card that he's handing to the writer on the, on the horse and that random black blob in his arms is a perfect fit for Cockburn Island. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Cockburn Island, come on, Cockburn Island. And I'm like, wait, Socrates last words was give a cock to Asclepius for me. That would have been a burnt offering, a, a Holocausted cock, right? Would have been what he was t- saying to do. So the name of the island isn't gross and scary and, you know, wait, it's making me think of syphilis. Well, the Sybils would label something horrible and scary and terrifying. So you change the subject right away or make a joke and not think about it too long. Well, sure enough, I think that's actually, I think I'm looking at a treasure map. I think there's more, I think there's plus ultra to that rabbit hole. We have really, we're, we've really opened up. The gravy portal. <laughs> well, I don't want to alarm you, but since you're talking about cocks, it's only right that we bring up. I just sent a, an image of a Braxis. And the reason I say that is 
there's a spirit in the outer realms that's waiting to enter this world. I have to open the portal, of course. And his name's going to be Abraxas. And look at that. And what do you see underneath him? Yao. Iota, Alpha, Omega. And what's the acrostic in the Bible? What does Jesus say? I, Iota, I am the Alpha and Omega. Yao. The old name. Dylan, my next slide is about acrostics. Shit. My bad. No, no. I'm not spoiling anything, though, right? You didn't spoil nothing, but my next slide is about fucking acrostics. We're. We're so in the zone right now. But yeah, Yao, that's Yahweh. Yao. Yah. Yaman. So Jesus is admitting he's a Broxus. Yes. And he's got snakes for legs. That's a huge weave. I really, my favorite of Braxis, uh writings are by Young. I'm not going to get into it, but look up Seven Sermons for the Dead. It's a quick read. Okay, I want to do this acrostic because you got me all jazzed up for it because you mentioned acrostics. In this text, the sibling oracles that I was alluding to a little bit ago before we went into the syphilis portal. <laughs> Milton S. Terry, his translation of the 1899, in 1899 of the sibling oracles from 6th or 7th century, he says, about the acrostic in the oracles. The acrostic in book eight is of a nature to attract special attention and interest. St. Augustine in the 18th book of his De Civite, Civitate <laughs> is basically, basically his word. Is, or the name of Augustine's book is uh, the Sibyl, the God of the Sibyls or the Sibyl God. <laughs> He, he St. Augustine cites the first 27 lines from the acrostic in book eight of the sibling oracles in a Latin translation, which aims to retain the acrostic form of the Greek text. He further observes that the verses are 27, which is the cube of three for three times three are nine and nine itself, if tripled so as to rise from the superficial square to the cube comes to 27. But if you join the initial letters of the five Greek words, which mean Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, they will make the word ichthys, that is, fish, in which word Christ is mystically understood because he was able to live, that is, to exist without sin in the abyss of this mortality as in the depth of the waters. So now... If you guys are up for it, I'll go through this acrostic and, you know, so we can see how it, how. Let the people see their fish gods. (laughs) So this is the sibling acrostic. Judgment shall moisten the earth with the sweat of its standard ever enduring. Behold, the king shall come through the ages sent to be here in the flesh and judge at the last of the world. O God, the believing and faithless alike shall behold thee uplifted with saints when at last the ages are ended. Stood before him our souls in the flesh for his judgment. Yep, these these six lines, you get Jesus. Spelled it wrong. That H is a a he, it should be C-H. That means Christ, so you have Jesus, Christus. So you have Jesus, good man. You have uh, uh, oh the next the next word is Christos. This is 
Iota, Ada, Sigma, Omicron. Oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. My, I was, I, I jumped the gun. I yeah, you jumped the, the gun. The world. next line is Christ, Christos. Hid in thick vapors, the wild, desolate lieth the earth. Rejected by men are the idols and long hidden treasures. Earth is consumed by the fire, and it searcheth the ocean and heaven. Issuing forth, it destroyeth, it destroyeth the terrible portals of hell. Portals of hell. That sounds like the uh, the crater <laughs> where the Sibylline Oracle would take Virgil down into the underworld. Saints in their body and soul freedom and light shall inherit. Those who are guilty shall burn in fire and brimstone forever. Occult actions revealing. Each one shall publish his secrets. Secrets of every man's heart. God shall reveal in the light. So that's Christos. The first letter of each line. The next line, Theoi, Theoi, which is God. Then shall be weeping and wailing, yea, and gnashing of teeth. Eclipsed is the sun, and silenced the stars in their chorus. Over and gone is the splendor of moonlight, melted the heaven. Uplifted by him are the valleys, and cast down the mountains. Utterly, the next word is... Dylan, this is uh, Eos, I think, or Eos is how you might say it. it. Means sun. You're muted, though. No, you're right. Sorry, Quios. Quios. So the sun, right? So that. So, so you don't see this in the old way. Oh, yeah, when they write this, you don't. They don't accent in the old Greek. This is all like modern Greek that has to do the accents to tell people how to pronounce it, just like the modern Greek, uh, modern Hebrew. But that that upsilon or what is it? Upsilon? How do you say that? Upsilon? I, I, mean, Oop, I always say Upsilon. Yeah. So however you say Upsilon, Upsilon, whatever, it's when it's accented, it functions like H-U, like you would see in Hydro or Hudor, meaning what? So that's H-U. So so it means sun. It would be equivalent to Filius uh, in Latin. Utterly gone among men are distinctions of lofty and lowly. Into the plains rush the hills. The skies and oceans are mingled. Oh, what an end of all things. Earth broken in pieces shall perish. Swelling together at once shall the waters and flames flow in rivers. In the next lines, we have Soter. Savior. Meaning Savior. Sounding the archangel's trumpet shall peal down from heaven. Over the wicked who groan in their guilt and their manifold sorrows. Trembling, the earth shall be opened, revealing chaos and hell. Every king before God shall stand in that day to be judged. Rivers of fire and brimstone shall fall from the heavens. So thinking about this, this is supposedly... Yeah, real quick. This Could is you out of the... this to the audience a little bit, just for the replay? Because I didn't just get what you were doing to the last two slides. Well, you'll see it. I'm going to bring it all home okay. on the next slide. Okay. okay. I just wanted everyone to hear the actual poem first and then see how all these letters line up, the first letter of each line of this of these 27 lines. Because this sounds like exactly what you would hear at your local Baptist church. But uh-huh. this is what the Sibyl the Sibyl's prophecy said. <laughs> the Sibyl's prophecy. This is not the local Baptist church. That's right. It's an acronym. It must be true. So the first line, the first letter of each of these 27 lines I just read spells out Ye- Jesus 
Jesus Christos Theo Huis Soter, Jesus Christ Son or Jesus Anointed God Son Savior. So Jesus Christ Son of God Savior. And, even and this if you take seen... the first, and there's like a double acrostic here because after you get the five words here, you take the first letter of each of those five words and you get ichthys, which is this symbol, your Jesus fish. That's called an ichthys. And it's important to to show to show people if you were to look this up on like old tombstones, or whatever that sigma that look that Greek sigma, the last letter of the word, it looks like a C, because going back to the the older times or the maybe the younger times, but with the uh, in like when you get to like the um, the Greek influence and the Slavic influence, um, you'll see the C and S like it, Constantine's name is spelled with C's. Like in Cyrillic and shit, like in uh and when in they the put highest the at the end of a word it looks like a C. There's yeah, but real quick, go that. back to that slide chance. So you see how Christo Christos, you see how it's Ada Iota, or uh, sorry, not Ada Iota, Epsilon Iota right there, the way it's spelled. That is what is interchangeable with the Ada, which just looks like an H. So when some when you see that ADA, the challenge with this, when we see that ADA transliterated into English, we see E, like the letter English E, but it's sometimes pronounced like the Latin I. So it's so it's Christos, right? But they have uh they have taken something that should be Christos, and the corruption is Christos. Christi, and I'm we're gonna get to that. Christianos, right? Good men. They, the corruption in the symbols in Justin Martyr's work. So Justin Martyr's work could be forgery and corruption. It is, it, it's already riddled with corruption, but it might not even be from Justin Martyr, just FYI. I want to give a, a big round of applause to Illuminati in the chat. He says, isn't the ichthys a vesica Pisces on its side? Yes, it's a vesica Pisces on its side. Yes, it's the almond shape. Right, Ichthys, Jesus. Yes, it's Paris. also the, it's also the tertium Tony. quid. It's the third something. What's that? What's the tertium quid? Can you tertium Wait quid. for the peanut. We ain't that. We're smart, but we ain't that smart, Gabe. Yeah, buddy. It's the th- it's the third something, and that is when you take two circles and you bring them together and they 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 copulate. A third something appears, and that third something is the ichthus Jesus fish that appears in the middle, the common ground Mandorla. between two circles. Dude, and that's that's part of the process of celestial navigation and uh, triangulation. You're creating yep. circles of equal elevation that yes. you're mixing. Once they intersect, you're at one of those two points, and then the third something pinpoints which point you're at. Follow yes. Jesus. Yeah, and it's also the goal when you're in the bedroom with a lovely lady. <laughs> it's what you're thinking of. It's, it's what you're getting at. <laughs> Capiche? They, they, they need us to say the word, Gabe. They need us to say it. Say the word. Opening it. Say it! Placenta! <laughs> it's the placenta. <laughs> All right, but it gets better, guys. It gets better. 
I, I'm hoping to blow Dylan's mind with this. We week. definitely need a parody of uh, Gabe getting tortured, like in Braveheart. We have talented people. Someone can create that. Okay, so in early Christian history, allegedly the ichthys symbol held the most sacred significance. Claimed that Christians used to recognize used it to recognize churches and other believers during a time when they faced persecution in the Roman empire. Although this interpretation has more recently been doubted probably because there's not a single line of Roman legal code that has anything to do with restricting or persecuting Christians. The ichthys symbol is also a reference to the Holy Eucharist, which with which the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes had such intimate connection, both in point of time and significance. But here's where it gets interesting. Before it was the Jesus fish, an early circular ichthys symbol created by combining the Greek letters iota, chi, theta, upsilon, uh, sigma, with a C-looking sigma, gives you the Dharma wheel, the Dharma chakra, or a mariner's wheel, navigation wheel. What? That's the a home. That's a and what do we wear on our heads? Helmets? <laughs> yep. Kaput. It's going all back to what Gabe started off at the beginning, the unplanned, you know, conversation. So yes. look at this earlier ichthys symbol, okay? This eight-spoked wheel. Now let's look at the Dharma Chakra, the wheel of the chariot of the sun at the con conarch conarch. And please recall, I'm going to knock these Indians because I'm sick of everybody giving them credit for Western civilization. Earliest inscription is 250 BC. Is that all? (laughs) (laughs) So here's your slice of uh, citrus with its little pockets. Here's your flag of the Romani or the gypsies. Here's the state emblem of India with the Dharma Chakra and the lions. Who's got the lions? Oh, that's Kaibel, Rhea, who was said to drive a chariot drawn by lions. It, guys, the ichthys is the Dharma Chakra. That was my biggest discovery today, I think. <laughs> I was so I was mind blown. Not not surprised, <laughs> but surprised. Look at it nice. again. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's and it. it. So it's also a nine and an 11, isn't it? It'll be like a, let me see, nine. Oh, no, this is not the uh, XI uh, monogram, is it? But it's similar. It's very similar. The IXXI monogram of the crest uh, that we've talked about is kind of the same thing, which, again, unpacks into a nine eleven. IXXI becomes a nine eleven, And then ISA is a nine. One one ISA is a nine eleven. Check this out. This is a symbol oh, of Jainism. Yeah. Here we go. The Dharma chakra in the middle. But do this you is, see, I see an IHS backwards. Yeah, you ain't doing it right. You better type oh, into wow. Google Jain symbol. I'm, I'm doing a post on this. I've got this plan for when we have Jan on. on the <laughs> so mark it on your calendars, people, because this is going to be off oh, the hook. I oh. need you in Google Images. The Jane symbol, right? You'll see they use another Etruscan or Etruscan symbol in their official emblem. A fish? And, and, and this is what, yep, yeah, exactly. And what I'm saying is this is all in Italy. 
hundreds of years before it gets to uh, India. Jainism, Ganesha, so Yan, Yanis, Yanism. Can you, Ganesha, the, can you just give me Ganesha? the symbol you want? Because I'm getting, is it the swastika? Yeah. Is that what you yeah. mean? Yep. Okay, yep. I'll that up. And, and you'll see this also in Greg Little has been doing this work. And I don't know if it's legit or not, but he's finding places like that this hand symbol is on in the American. Yeah, American. Oh, Greg Little's legit. I've had him on. This oh, is it. So yeah. he, you know, that symbol with the hand with the eye or whatever. So yeah. how is the Native Americans and the Indians sharing the symbolism? And none of them can prove it prior to the third century BC, but you can go see it in Italy 800 years before the commons era and older on Bukero. Well, actually, hold on, hold on. I gotta, I'm, getting, I'm getting excited. Hold on. Seventh century. Bukero yeah. pottery, seventh century BC. Okay. It's also the Hamsa. It's the Hamsa. Okay, I'm going to just unleash all of this. This is such a there's so much packed in what we're just putting on the on the table here. I know. So I did I did a big dig on uh, Jainism as well, Bill, and, and um, so Yad G Judge J U D is a hot is a Yad, right? J U D is a Yad. G E is an iron. So if you put an I in a hand. I in a yod, you got an I in the hand. The word judge is a hamsa, and you go to the judge yod for remedy. Is a yod yay. Yod yay. A yod yay is an I in a hand, and the I in a hand is a hamsa. Okay, so the word judge is the hamsa. Now, Jainism is, uh, breaks into two sects. They got the naked dudes, and they got the dudes in white. Well, the naked dudes of Jainism, that's, uh, those are the Diogeneans. Those are the, uh, the, um, they're kind of like a renegade sect. They're Diogenes. They're the, um, the Baba, the Sufi Baba Sadhus. They're the Sadhu uh, Sufis. Uh, and they're all naked. But the other group of the Jainists, they wear purity in white. Uh, in this influence, I've actually seen it flashing up in my symposium work in the Greeks. I can actually see the footprints of this Jainism sect of the naked guys versus the purists in the white in some of their culture flashing in some of my work in the symposium. But it had to do with the word Gandalf means battle wolf. The Voynich manuscripts was uh, kept in the Castilla, Castilla de Gandolfo in the castle of Gandalf. So I had to look up what is that name of the castle that the Voynich Manuscripts was preserved in. And it means the war-tested wolf, the castle of the battle wolf. Now look at the shape of the Jainism, the shape of the Jainism lava lamp. Go back to that picture, Chance. The Jainism lava lamp shape, that shape is the shape of the lupus constellation. That shape is the shape of the wolf constellation. And so now we've got <laughs> this is You're so talking about battles and the wolf is the god of Mars. So yes, so this is the shape of Gandalf. Or animal of Mars. We're literally looking at a shape that means Gandalf right now. And it's almost it's not a trapezoid, but it's flirting with trapezoidism or whatever, yeah. which is like that satanic shit. Palm is an anagram for lamp. What the shit did we just discover? What did we just discover? Your lamp is on. (laughs) 
That top symbol, I forget what it is, but in Egypt they did sacrifices on the top, but it's the, it symbolizes the sun rising between two mountains in Egypt. I forget. You've seen it on the front of every temple. It's got like two, uh, like it's got like, it's, it's like, a, it's got like almost like two pillars, right? And the sun rises between it. You've seen it. Yes. I, I just yeah. forget what it's called. Wow. Palm is an anagram for lamp. See, would like how does that work in other languages? And so, real so, quick, that yeah. god of fortresses that Chance was talking about, right? So you have the goddess of fortresses and the god of fortresses. Well, it transliterates to Mozim. I sent Chance, I posted in the comment, it would look like Mem, again, Ion, which is an O. Why are they transliterating this word M-A-O? It's M-O-Z-I-M, and the I-M is oh. plural. So it's Moz. Gonna be the same for Moshe, right? That S and Z interchange. You see the X, like Xavier, all that shit, and all the older languages. So it's Moshe, Mozim, Moshiach. The you know you see it everywhere. Yeah, that's also the Arabic name of Bacchus, Mises. Yeah. Man, what a fun trip! What a fun trip! This is yeah. this is the gravy portal to end all gravy portals. I, when I yeah, when I was digging on this Jainism thing, I I'm getting the feeling that uh, there is much more control in India than we are led to think. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more in, uh, Hindu Indian influence in real high up places, um, including the new Space Force logo. You know, that new Space Force logo, it looks like Anubis. But on the down low, if you go back and look at the new one, it also looks like Ganesha, Janessa, Janus, the Two-Face. They always got two for one. They get, they get two missions for the price of one. Babisha knows. <laughs> Uh, first of all, Louis said he just had a small earthquake. We're shaking the world with the gravy. And uh, another, another kind super chat from Bob, Bob Sia. Bob Sia. You got to tell us how to say it. Bob, Bob Sia. Sia. Bob Bob she Sia. says, I blame Gabe for keeping me awake, trying to absorb the path his mind works. I'll just say good luck with that. I'll never understand <laughs> Gabe's mind, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I, she says, I'm a mathematician, but he throws me to the left. It's painful to open those paths in a grand way. Yeah, yeah. dude, you're the, you definitely got a left hand, right brain way of thinking. Damn. So, so you want to go into my next, my next yeah, thing, keep going. guys, because yeah. you're talking about Hinduism. That's actually where, where I'm going next. Way, what are the odds of this shit? Like when we talk about something before, we've not seen these slides. You send it to him right before the show. I mentioned acrostics. It was the very next slide. Talking about Hinduism. Now it's here. It keeps happening. And this was not part of your original show notes. You literally just said, hey, I see Sybil, Gover, uh, Cyber. You literally just said uh, there's four or five words that are crazy. And, and All I did it. was just did say, plan think, any about of the, think about the etymology of Sybil and what it could be. And, and we'll go. Like, it will just bring our minds together. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all me and Gabe really said about it too. So like weeks ago, and I've just been kind of brewing on it, but okay. So this is going to be fun. Going to take a little bit of reading. The Manusmriti or the laws of Manu is a metrical text in Sanskrit, allegedly dated to the first or third century CE. There's plenty of reason to potentially dispute that. 
it presents itself. Well, these texts, because there's many different versions of it, they present themselves as a discourse given by Manu and Brigu on Dharma topics such as duties, rights, laws, conduct, virtues, and others. The Laws of Manu was one of the first Sanskrit texts to be translated into English by British philologist Sir William Jones and was key right here and was used to construct the Hindu law code for the East India Company administered enclaves. That's key. So this is some ancient text from the first or third century CE and we'll see how it's right in the line, the same as all this other Sibylline stuff. And in the 1700s, they're using it to, con- to construct the law code for the East India Company colonizing India. You guys <sighs> recognize that symbol in the top left? What's that called again? It's uh, Ogham. Ogham? Ogham? Dylan, I didn't show you. I have uh, my, my parents went to... Ireland, and they got me an Ogham. Oh, they got you an Ogham stone? Yeah. Cool. It's supposed to be the letter that symbolizes March, my birth month. I have a conspiracy conspiracy theory that what if the Ogham are erroneously dated and they're way older and they're more closely related to the original numerical alphabet? I think there's a there there. But yeah, what we're alluding to for anyone who may have gone too fast, Ogham, the Irish, the ancient Irish writing is really the way they would say it is like Ogham. So it's basically the word Om. <laughs> it's the same word. It's the it's the word, you know, the logos. And in but Sanskrit, see, the same phonetic corresponds to secret. So if anyone wants to look up the laws of Manu, the text that Sir William Jones translated is titled the ordinances of Menu, E M E N U U. It is a it's a real hoot. It's worth a read. I had fun with it, but I wanted to bring up the biblical flood versus the Vedic flood. And you didn't include the Mexican version? No, <laughs> there's versions everywhere, but maybe people aren't as familiar with the Vedic version. So, sources from a website called Mystery of India, and they didn't want anybody copy or pasting things. So uh, I screenshotted it kind of in a rebellious state, but I will say where I sourced it from. We'll probably have more etymology to say about this, but the biblical flood flood and the Vedic flood in both versions, mankind is in a corrupted state. Both were commanded by God to build the ark, Noah and Manu. Both stories have a great flood, a righteous man given a divine warning. Animals were brought on board the vessel to repopulate the world. The vessel lands on a high mountain after the flood. Both have three sons and both mankind descends from both Manu or Noah. So Manu, the father of all post-flood mankind, his descendants are called Manavas or Manush. In Sanskrit, the name Manu appropriately came to mean man or mankind. The English word Man is thus related to the Sanskrit Manu. If we look into the derivation of the English word man, it comes from Proto-Germanic. Etymologists say the ancient Germanic word manus is a derivation of the Proto-Indo-European Manu. Manus is Hold another on, stop, lawgiver. Right now. 
What's that? To address this, Proto-Indo-European does not exist. It's a totally constructed guessing thing there you will see nothing in the historical record about and i just want that to be on the record so know. right it's an abstract idea it's not a literal thing it's it's a tool for fucking nerds to hide european history that's all it is <laughs> call us spade a spade all right i'm with you but but manus is uh i think a norse version of this lawgiver manu there's actually like a like a legendary manus for them in another Sanskrit form. Oh, man, stop right now. The YouTube chat. Think in GCAP, second time today. Manuscript. Manuscript. The sun script. It's right fucking there, dude. Yeah, yeah dude. Relax. Yeah, it's a gift that keeps on giving the M to N. Ask Booty Yoga. He knows about it. Works right. with the M and the N. But uh, the Lithuanian Noah was also Manus. There's so many versions of this. And Menes, founder of the first dynasty of Egypt, lawgiver, Minos, king of Crete, lawgiver, son of Zeus, ruler of the sea. In Japan, it's Maru instead of Manu, which is a word that they put attached to ships. Maru, like at the way we would put SS, whatever. They call it the such and such Maru. In the Sioux language, it's Mine meaning water, so like Minneapolis, city of water, Minnesota, sky blue water. The original... Dude! Dude! Minoan. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's everywhere. (laughs) It's This is not even the extensive list. And then you have uh, now or nauka, which is the word for ship in Sanskrit, where we get navy, nautical, nausea, which is seasickness, which is not that it's you know it might be a variant of Noah. There seems to be a link there. Now Noah, now yeah. Noah, it's there. Minoan is a Minoan is Noah and Minu. Oh my god! Yes, and it's a it's a Noan man. Minu is an archetype for this this the moon deity in Egypt, but it's masculine. <laughs> nice, and uh, Manu Noah. Together becomes no a uh, human. No a uh, human. Oh yeah, good point. The manes is the human soul after death, which the and psychopomp savior deity has to resurrect or uh, save or lead onto the underworld. Thank you, Booty Yoga. It good. shares the same root as Anus, the year Manu Anu, priest of Anu, the chief observers in Egypt. It's extensive. <laughs> we're, we're just touching the surface. So I want to show similarity between this ordinances of menu and the Sibylline oracles. Okay, so this is from book one of Sibylline oracles. The king, most high, who brought into existence the whole world, saying, let there be, and there was. Or he the earth established, placing it round about Tartarus. And he himself gave the sweet light. He raised Tartarus winter. Hell. He raised the heaven on high, spread out the gleaming sea, and crowned the sky with an abundance of bright shining stars, and decked the earth with plants and mingled sea with rivers, and the air with zephyrs mixed, and watery clouds, 
And then another race appointing, he gave fishes to the seas and birds unto the winds and to the woods, the beasts of shaggy neck and snakes that crawl and all things which now on the earth appear by these, by his word, he made and everything was speedily and with precision done for he was self caused and from heaven looked down and finished was the world exceedingly well. And then thereafter fashioned he again a living product, copying a new man from his own image, a new man. There already was a man before. From his own image, beautiful, divine, and bade him in ambrosial garden dwell, that labors beautiful might be his care. So this is sounds like Genesis is the sibling oracles. And then it's just a selection. But if you read more of the first book of both this and the ordinance of menu, you'll see it's the same thing. So labors are from, another name for orgies too. Just so you know, that's what this would be. What is another word for orgies? Labors, like orgy and labors, oh. are, are, are archaic forms of each other. Whoa. But it, not going to ritual and stuff, you know. Right. It's hard work. <laughs> Got a lot of people to please. <laughs> so from the ordinances of Menu, this is William James's translation. Just a small section. Whatever act is ordained for each of those creatures here below that I will now declare to you together with their order in respect to birth, cattle and deer and wild beasts with two rows of teeth, giants and bloodthirsty savages and the race of men are born from a secundine. Gabriel, you should know that word, secundine. That means a placenta. Are you kidding me? No, I'm telling you. It's the second, second, the second thing, second Dean, second wow. one, the second one, <laughs> the second. Wow, one. that's amazing. Um, that's why I I, I, stop I put it in right now. I'm taking a, I, I'm taking a picture. <laughs> you look at it in William James's text from 1700s. The S's look like F's, so second looks like fecund, like fecundity. No way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Guys, this is such an amazing That's world. capable of producing abundance of offspring, people. Being oh, fertile. my gosh. What the heck? So, oh, wow. Wow, that that's as close. That's like one of the closest, you know, divine twin linguistical links we could look for, right there. Did he, dude? That's so beautiful. And then this is also, you know, Mercury is the divine twin, and he's the second. It's the second hand. It's the quickest one, you know. Oh, right. It's the second divine twin. The seconding. Oh wow, that's and and then I know. This kind of leads back to what I said earlier about the difference of the realm when it was nine months, 40 day months, nine times, 360. Um, the second would, that is the old way. So the smallest uh, unit of measure of time would not be called a second. It would have been the first. That's the old way of, of measuring time. So the smallest unit for Hermes would have been a different uh construct it would have measured differently so that's why the way it is now is called the second because it was established in a different way and now it's the second because it has been altered 
<laughs> and you've got some obscure fucking shit going on in that head of yours. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. And it has you're like, you're like, like a, a file cabinet of like, like a, like in a, like Hogwarts. He's a yeah. fucking arch druid. You know, it's, he's got an entire memory palace constructed. We're over here like referencing notes and like writing things down, and he's just yeah. somehow he holds it all. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so, the, so the falling second arc, the falling arc of a second is 30 degrees. But in my construct of the old time system, it's a 40 degree wedge instead of a 30 degree wedge. So, this is the difference from the trivium to the quadrivium, the 30 to the 40. Uh, so it all it's all fitting in so well. And then just because we just said it uh, 30 seconds ago, orge and work is the same fucking word. Orge and work because the W becomes silent. So the whole thing is orge. I'm going to work. I'm going to the orgy, sweetheart. I'll be home at the five o'clock. I'm going off to orgy. See you later. Be home at five. OK, what do you want for dinner? And, I'm the orgy. <laughs> and Mercury is also. Quicksilver, but in this case, quick references living, right? Argentum vivum, the living silver. Oh, wow. Quick living. Wow. And that makes you. Um, so, like the quick and the dead, the living yes, and the dead. Yes. Wow. And that expedites your decision making because you're lost for time. And that's a denkronverlus, loss of thinking space. So, you confuse the subject for the object because you don't have the thinking space. Uh, the quickening. I love it. All right. Abtia says it's 11 in her time and she's unable to leave the flow. Stick oh, it out. We got oh, five more slides. Bobcha. Hold on. Hold been on. So generous tonight Stop with your time. Right your now. It's Bobcha. She's from Poland or she is Polish, which means she can cook us glumki and pierogi. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's add her to the team. Come on now. Give, give me some of that. I love that food. <laughs> Did you cook some blood pancakes? Oh, that's Sweden. So in this slide, there's a lot more talking about the different vegetables and animals and whatnot. But important line at the end that I wanted to make sure to include where it says these animals and vegetables encircled with multiform darkness by reason of past actions have internal conscience and are sensible of pleasure and pain. Really important because what we're getting at here is that these creation stories are law books, just like the Old Testament. So a few more lines from the ordinances. Hold on, I'm having a game moment. Do it. Law in reverse is wall. If you grant me the LR interchange, it's war. So they're books of war too. Whoa. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. The muse of history is holding something. What, what, what's that? And Mar with the WM interchange. Oh my God. Of the sea. Wow. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. So yeah, she's holding. Many think it's the books of history. Uh, Something gets the books of the law, but you come to find out when you actually research the muse of history, uh, Cleo, she's actually holding a book of war strategy. So the law and the war uh, 
are flip-flopping depending on which culture you look at it you know nowadays we're like telling the kids the pg-13 version and it's like yeah she's got a it's a history book isn't that quaint and you look in and you're like wait it's the history of the peloponnesian war you cited is what the hell is this and it turns out the whole thing is battle strategy and uh and that gives the other kids in the private schools the one up on you because you sent your kids to the pg-13 school and they didn't read these society dds when they were in 12th grade <laughs> i went to a private school and we literally said by the first name what like, you called it by the first name like yeah like i can remember like a woman who's like in her 60s and here I am as a brat little kid calling her by her first name instead of Mrs. Oh, right. Liar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hold well, on. Chance just said something about Thucydides, who is the father of scientific history. What were you about to say? He was oh, saying the just... name right. <laughs> I was just saying it the way that, you know, might help people recognize what Gabe was getting at. Yes. Um, uh, so, I got. I want to say this real quick because, uh, because it, I'm inspired. Pausanias is uh, in the symposium. He is representing Cleo. He is the only lawyer in the group. He is uh, speaking uh, for the muse of law, who is actually holding a book of war. Everybody thinks is a book of history, and it's not. It's not unicorns and rainbows around here. This is this is ballistics. Um, well, uh, Pausanias, he's, uh, they're all taking turns describing love. And we've pointed out that love and law are very philologically linked. So the first guy might have been talking about love, proper, eros. But when it comes to Pausanias, he might be misinterpreting the topic on hand. And he might be actually pontificating on love. In which case, he splits it in half right away. The first thing he does, because he's the second speaker. And I'm thinking of... Card number II, that's the high priestess card in Capricorn. She's holding the Torah in her lap. I'm also thinking of the Aeon card in the Thoth deck or the Judgment card in all other decks, which has the horn. So you got a scroll and you got a horn. Well, guess what? Those are the two implements of Cleo. She's holding the scroll or she's holding the horn. So when you bring the two together and they're nine months apart there, the judgment card and up in Taurus, nine months later, you get a baby in Capricorn. You bring them together, you get Cleo. So that is the muse of Pausanias. He's in position number two, card number two, card number 20, all in Pausanias's position. Here's the thing. He splits law into two right away. He splits it into two. He says there's the high law for the highborns up in the higher echelons uh, here in Athens where we practice where we don't mind pederasty and all those other outsiders the commoners the the plebes the pagans the people who aren't of the elite they are offended by pederasty so they get a different law we're going to consider them foreign so he makes two concentric rings he makes a ring for the inner circle and he makes the outer circle ring now this is really fascinating and I'm just I'm sorry, I know this is derailing, but I just have to say it. On my map, in the Enneagram, he's literally pointing two positions to his right and two positions to his left. Because uh, uh, Aphrodite, uh, Pandemos, the mundane Aphrodite, she's down in number four, uh, which is for the mundane people. And two positions up to the other direction goes up to number nine, 
from Pausanias' seat, and in that position is Urania, who is holding an egg. She is she is the highborn, the high, the high class, the elites, the uh, the the ur the ur. Who else holds an egg in in art? Mary holds the egg. Mary. But or this is the thing. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. This is what's trippy, guys. In Virgo, there is the Corvus. There's also a hidden owl constellation that's been erased from the zodiac. There's an owl. There's a lot of bird energy up there in that Virgo, right? Uh, but that's where I put Orania. But here's the thing. This is where it gets weird, guys. I think this is some David Icke shit. I think I'm seeing David Icke shit that far back. That, that in the symposium, they're actually saying that, yeah, all the earthly people are not, they're not subject to the law we're actually talking about. We get this Oranian highborn from the dark heavens. Uh, uh, Superregnum. Superregnum. Yes. Sovereign, above rulership. Above. Like, this is the, that's the Bellamy salute. They're holding the hand up. This is where the Heil Hitler comes from. But they're holding an egg. That's an egg. They're holding up to the heavens. Cosmic egg. It's also the North Star. But I think some David Icke shit. I think they're really saying back then that the elites are born from eggs. That we're special. We're not born like everybody else. And I think I might. Yeah, I think it was probably some kind of psychological. Why they all get syphilis and shit? (laughs) (laughs) That mind virus. That's our birthright. Reptilians, all kinds of parasites. Right, right. But yeah, I just. Go Real quick, because you said Cleo, but again, I'm going into Gabe mode. You yeah. gave me the L to R interchange. Now you have Creo, which is going to be I create, I give existence to, I form, I cause, I prepare, I choose. I let. Yeah, cre- yeah, creer. Was that Spanish? Believe, yeah. Creo. Yeah. And a meaning of elect is interesting because that's where ecclesiastics come from. They're the elected. Called out. They were called out by God as a calling out. God's elected, if you will. All of that fits in this deviation, this position of the number two. It's like, do you elect to be common or can you speak the higher tongues? Can you can you crack the code? Oh, stop right now. I got another sink on Manu that I forgot to tell you guys. It's right in the middle with like a turret above her head. Yeah, I love this. Right in the middle of the name, Emmanuel, is Manu. So you have Om Manuel. Dude. <laughs> How did we miss that one? It's basically like Israel. Wow. It's right there. Wow. You see the eggs down here, too, with Cleo? And the horn for radiance. Oh, the- yes. In corn, uh, Cornu is just, horn in one of those uh, those languages, right? Keren, Kronos, Cornu. Yes. So, so just while we're looking at this image, I'm going to just, if everybody can visualize what happened on J6, right? Remember I said card number 20 is the Aeon. It's in Taurus nine months later. The Aeon's birthday, uh, the god child of the Zodiac, his birthday is January 6th. So everybody go back to those events and think of the moment when that girl when Princess Leia is jumping into the into the trash compactor, she blasted a hole in the wall, and now Princess Leia is leading the charge. And uh, in the hallway, Han Solo is like, 
I don't know if I love her or if I want to kill her. And Princess Leia jumps in first. Well, Ashley Babbitt, she's playing the role of the Princess Leia. She's jumping through the tra- into the trash compactor first. She's leading the charge, right? Are you calling What's the a- Capitol building a trash compactor? <laughs> totally, totally. It's a 16. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's a t- it's a, yep, it's a tower card for sure. Uh, burning of the Bastille. Um, so she gets blasted and she falls back on her book bag. On her book bag are twin towers. It's an I-I, just like the High Priestess card. Roman numerals, I-I. It's also Pausanius. It's the pause button. It's the symbol to tell you, to give you pause, to think back on history. They wrote history in her blood. And right before she got blasted out of that window, before her books spilled down onto the ground, like every artistic depiction you can ever search for Cleo, you will find books and scrolls strewn onto the ground next to an altar. Well, guess what happened before she got shot? That cop with the gun, he had to check the horn. You can watch his hand. He comes off of his gun and he checks his horn. That's his cochlea. That's the cochlea is the horn in his ear. So before he blasts her just off of her hip, she's wearing the book bag and there's a horn just off of her hip going off and she gets strewn onto the ground. And if you look at the shape of the pillar that she dies, squib, squib blast, die, she dies next to this pillar and that pillar, it's in the stairwell. It's in every artistic depiction of Cleo. So you have all of the ingredients of this muse ritualized in the J6 event. And if the horn, if the cop on the horn isn't enough to fulfill the Cleo component, then you just turn to the Kubaka shaman. The Kubaka shaman was the horn. That's the Aeon card. So yeah, I just wanted to weave all that together because I've been boggling over what this Twin Towers thing is all about. It's about pause, Sanius. They're literally writing history. They're literally waging war. They're waging war. We thought it was history. No, they're waging war. I mean, if they cut you off from your ancestry and, and knowing you can't know the truth, that what was manifested, what is the truth? So if you don't right. know what was, you have a harder time figuring out what is. Right. And I think also uh, um, Oswald in the library. There it is again, the books. They always have to have the books in these rituals. So him at the, at the tower, a towering uh, pile of books, and he comes running down and he gets taken out. So he's the fall guy off the tower. Interessante. Man, capisci, capisci. <laughs> capisci. Like, even like the word yeah. saying, like saying yes is like saying yes, geez, yes. Uh, even saying see, the see is to yes. conceive. To say yes, okay, see. Do you see? I see. Do you yes? I yes. Do you yes? Relax. Capisci, capisci. Keep it going, Chance. Get those fucking slides back. We didn't say, we didn't tell you to stop playing the music yet. <laughs> we only got a couple more, but they might, they'll probably open more portals. We haven't even gotten to my notes, bitches. Oh shit! Oh man, yeah. I, I, I mean, I do have some gravy. I do have some gravy. Though. All right, I'm in. I Don't might have to take it. a bathroom break. Yeah, we can take uh, a bathroom break. Play, so, play some a couple more selections from 
ordinances of Menu, the very first line, Gabriel, is Menu sat reclined with his attention fixed on one object, the Supreme God, when the divine sages approached him. So for the people out there, reclined references a sofa or a couch. And the sofa is sophos, Sophia. It's the wisdom. You give your decrees, you give your laws from the sofa. So reclined. Yes. Important detail. And it also, uh, it also implies like embedded meaning. There's more, uh, there's embedded. more re- embedded with meaning. It's a, it's pregnant. It's, it's being, it's been impregnated with more uh, beyond pages within the pages. So another thing about like the law in this system is regarding transmigrations. All transmigrations recorded in sacred books from the state of Brahma to that of plants happen continually in this tremendous world of beings, a world always tending to decay. Which I I didn't find the line, but I know there's also a verse in there about how whatever your caste is, you don't transmigrate out of that. You just continually, you know, you're stuck with your with what you are. That that's the law. That's the law for the lower, you know, that's not the sovereign above law. That's the below law. But apparently that applies to Brahma. And then the last line here, he, having enacted this code of laws himself, taught it fully to me, which is me being Menu, uh, in the beginning, he being Brahma. Whoa. Afterwards, I taught it to Mari Chi, Mari Chi, Mari X, <laughs> Mari Chi. <laughs> and the nine other holy sages. So you have X, and then you have the nine muses. Interesting. Totally. totally. In some accounts, that some cultures only have five muses. There's conflicting information on them. So that's, uh, I think that's all I have on the ordinance yeah. of menu right now, but I do have a couple more slides about some of the Roman rituals that came out of supposedly out of their Sibylline books that Tarquinus acquired. So this is an interesting one. We ha- this is the, the Corinthian, not an attrition. I'm going to keep harping on that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Lectisternium, an ancient Roman ceremony consisting of a meal offered to appease the gods and goddesses. Deriving from lectum stern sternere to spread or drape over a couch. So there's your sofa. The deities were represented by their busts or statues or by portable figures of wood with heads of bronze, wax, or marble. Earlier versions used bundles of sacred herbs tied together in the form of a head. We're getting the busts, heads, wisdom, arche, right? Come on, guys. We are. We've been there in previous shows. We know about the head and wisdom traditions and the sofa. And the resh, Sophos, wisdom. Going back, going, ras, resh, going back to the Phoenician letter that corresponds to a physical head in the hieroglyphs. So these bundles of herbs tied together in the form of a head covered by a waxen mask to resemble a bust were similar to straw figures called argi, which we'll talk about in the next slide. So the couch or the lectus, lectus, like where you get 
lecture, you're giving your lecture or you're speaking in your pulpit, which is also called a lectern because the one giving the wisdom, the one who's in charge the head is related to this couch. Like this, <laughs> the one who lectures, we get it. It's all there. So they prepare it by draping it with fabric and then they add figures or sacred objects pertaining to the deity. And sometimes the, each couch held a pair of deities, sometimes male with female equivalent. So here's a, an old ass coin depicting a lectisternium or tichi or tiki, the goddess of yeah. fortune, lady luck. There she is on her. <laughs> and what, what does this say? Be a lady tonight. And what is, I, there may be other, another, ins- more letters to the inscription, but it looks a lot like it says IE or yay. It almost looks like that's an L. L I E. It kind of does. I agree. So there's your Taiki. There's our couch. And she's lying. She's literally lying about, you know? Well, if that's the case, this would be, I wouldn't even believe that's real because that's L-I-E, unless it's a Latin word. That, that's weird to see that. I don't know. So, so uh, Chance, I'm pretty sure in my research, I came across this lectisternium, uh, a story specifically about it, where uh, somebody had gone to the oracles, and I believe this was like, this had been practiced in the old Grecan, Greco traditions and then it was brought forward again in uh in in roman times where they like consulted those books you remember the three books that remained and they were like yeah what would we do but it was specifically in this story it was in uh it was a a later reiteration of this lectisternium and what it was was that there had been a plague had gone through the community and so they went to the sibyls to ask them what should we do and they said you should set up these little uh, consultation uh, meal places where the gods will be paired off with each other. And in fact, the Sybil gave very specific pairings of the gods that should be met up with each other. And there were unlikely pairs uh, uh, like Neptune and Dionysus sitting together with one another as though they were uh, uh, making amends for some nature of the transgression that was the plague that came through. So it's almost like the nature of whatever the 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 problem in the community is actually matched uh, with a prescription, like a very nuanced uh, setting. So you're supposed to make these fake gods and put them in a meal together as though they are getting along. But the plague was implying that they didn't get along. So now they're making amends. And so you're having like a fake get along so everybody can you know, squash the problem. But the reason that this kind of tripped me out when I discovered it was because my symposium work is literally setting up these characters, these archetypes to have a meal together. They're communing to have like to get along and have a, a, a civil conversation in the symposium. And as I'm reading this, it's like getting oh, very it's the meta. Whole meaning of civil. Yeah, right, 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 right. So that gods can be civil again. Yes, to, to uh, pick to civility. That's exactly it. God, and to support hey, the civilization instead of destroying it. You just made me think of something. What if? Because you know, ever since the Wuhan Wiggle, I've been trying to think about like these old accounts of play. What if plague is an archaic word for war? 
I dig that. What if like a lot of these things they say, oh, a plague wiped them out. It's right. like code word for no, we went there with we killed everybody. Well, know, you know, about that. dude, nope. you are on to something. They, we definitely in Latin, get- plaga means a wound. In the Doric Greek, plaga means to strike. So a stroke or a wound that happens in wars. It's not talking yeah. about illness, dude. I think you may have just opened the biggest gravy portal. That's a good one. I like it a lot. It also it makes me think of the the Golem of Prague. You know, we did uh, basically Corona was a was a mind virus. It was a Golem that is sent out to do the dirty work in public to cause a, a stir so that you have to go to the guy who made him. Or was it a column like your two towers? Nice. Dude, yeah, I think you're right. I think I like it. I think plagues, I think plagues are a psyop, obviously. You know, infectious disease, virus, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Even knowing that like, okay, this is too much. <laughs> we we're in we are we're in gravy land plague is a wound like you're hit you've been hit by something plaga Mm -hmm. that's what that's the original word why would that then be associated with illnesses it's a fucking because you've been hit this is the this is the linguistic spellcraft man this is the spellcraft changing definitions what happened at the beginning of Cooties. They changed the definitions of a bunch of words related to illness. Chance, I, I left you a crazy message months ago, but uh, it's coming back up because of the play thing. You know, I uh, was uh, uh, <laughs> play, yay! <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, you playing oh. God. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, play. If you play, make a G, a ya, a ya sound, it's a play. Ya. The whole play, play. yeah. Whoa. Okay, okay, okay. The playa so, so now think of gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth, and now think of what a donkey looks like when they laugh. The gnashing of teeth and the yay and the donkey. There's a, there's a there there. And a, a long time ago, Chance, you may vaguely remember, it was a while back, I was studying the histories of the plagues that um, basically that the, uh, the thespians would come to town. And the thespians would draw all of the public down to the theater, to the local production location. And while everybody's at the play, guess what's happening? There's somebody going behind everybody's back and they're poisoning the well. And so when they go to the play, there's a plague being uh, poisoned into the well, bodies, whatever, being dropped, whatever that whole operation was. It turns out during the uh, Roman War, during uh, Belisarius's campaigns, there were uh, these uh, the thespians were traveling around and they were poisoning wells all throughout the countryside. And sure enough, the plague just all hit all at once. And I'm I personally I'm convinced that it uh, is to be laid at the foot of the Actors Guild. And well, we actor know the actors guild. and priests are, the, are, you know, the same thing. And you can't they can't be buried in Christian cemeteries back in the day. Get this, though. You know, like a pestilence, the other word for a plague. Pesta, the root means to trample. That's another thing that would happen in like a war or some calamitous, you know, invasion. 
you're muted, Dylan. A pestum in Italy. P-A-E-S-T. Like a pestle, mortar and pestle. You're crushing your yeah. medic- medicaments Wait, in that's your a, mortar and pestle. That's walking on a cross. It's a pestilence. You're walking on the cross. And the mortar and pestum is a fucking yoni and linga. A ship and a, ma- a hull and a mast. And so when they were walking on the cross, they were mixing up the plague for the, for the bubonic plague. That, that was uh, Jacques Molay. They were initiating people, were making them walk on the cross. That's a pesta lance. And that's where the mitre comes from. Those, those Carthusian or Carthaginian monks, that paper mitre they're named after is called cartoccio. In Italian, it's, and it's the hood that they keep all their fucking powders and shit in. Wow. All right, I'm in three and a half hours. The, ones that I the American that. Indians. I got it. Motherfuckers. Be right back. <laughs> Play a Volo song or something so we can take a piss and let everybody go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just, I'll be back in just a second. You wait, we'll take turns. You guys okay. keep it going. <laughs> do you want to go into some of my gravy? Do you want us to do that? Yeah, yeah, go all ahead. Right. So, Gabe, this will give Chance some replay value. So, Justin Martyr showed that the Old Testament was prophecy from the oracles of the Sibyls. Remember, we were talking about Phoenician Adonis and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Now, the earliest Christian writer whose works exist in their entirety, it is Justin, sorry, my bad, Boston accent came out, entirety was Justin Martyr, allegedly. This is the first earliest Christian letter where everything still remains. Now, his first apology was not older than 160 AD. However, there are a ton of corruptions. So one must look at his work as tampered with, the best case scenario being that Justin wasn't corrupt, but somebody rewrote his works, right? So if the Sibyls were forged, then it shows early Christians behaving this way, since Justin claim that the Cumian Sibyl prophesied the advent of Christ. And the current Sibyls are from multiple authors and not from the same moment in time. And so Higgins was of the opinion that it is likely they are the works of charlatans who didn't understand the judicial astrology and quoted, if any part of the Sibyl is authentic. And for those watching, judicial astrology is prophesying, the, the predicting events based on the stars, right? And so in his first apology, Justin calls Christians Christiani. And according to Therby, let me, let me write this down for you just so you can see how it's spelled because uh, it does matter because this is the corruption that we've highlighted over and over again. But people who don't see it, um, it's, it's hard to explain it. So the... The one he has in there, it's the difference between an eta and an iota. And I'm just going to write it so everyone can see it uh, for replay value. Hold on. Can you see this? Is it too dark? There you go. So that eta, the third letter right there, acts like a Latin E, right? But if you were to transliterate it literally, it transliterates as an E. Oh, sorry, it acts like a Latin I, which is pronounced like a long E, like the E-E, like so you say Christi, right? But if you transliterate it, it would say Cresti. So Christiani, that's a new, and, and that O-I termination is plurality in Greek, and it's pronounced like an E-E, Christiani. 
right? So according to uh, Thurlby, Sibelius conject or Sibelius conjectured again. I don't know how to pronounce that G because it could be a Greek version. You know, conjectured that it the Christiani must be read without reason because, uh, namely, from the mind or rather the voice of his adversaries. And this is due to this word for Christians being a corruption. It is not a good look for the church. If their best authority is corrupt, then what good work do they have? Right? From their fruit, you will know them. And if it weren't corrupt, it would, um, it would read like this, but it reads. Let me show you how it reads. In the, I, I, I kind of bosh this up a little bit. It reads like the bottom one. Can you see? Hold on. See how they see that I, the third letter? Where is it? Oh, sorry. It's like a mirror. That's how it reads. This is the modern corruption, but it should be that. Oh, sorry. And that root is good. The, uh, There's a difference like between Chris and Cress or Crease. Yeah. And so the whole point of this is that Bingham. Bingham, he noted that Christians were not called Christiani, right, till the time of Ambrose, which is what? Second half of the fourth fucking century. This is significant because it is the exact correspondence to when the church makes their move and takes over everything. And it's a corruption. Every time Justin Martyr uses the word Christos, going back to that, remember how you were saying earlier, Chance? The um, the S, the Sigma, and the Sigma Tau interchange. So it would look like this. Every time you see this, hold on, I gotta make sure. I'm not looking at myself. Every time you see this, instead of I'm running fast. Instead of the bottom one, Chrysos, right? Every time you see that I instead of the Eta. That's the corruption. So the point of this is you have in the Bible Rome being called Babylon. And this is what I'm making the case of that you have all this. Someone was asking about Iran in the chat earlier and all that stuff. Babylon and all this shit, Mesopotamia. I think it's a concept of judicial astrology that they've Butch, butchered and botched up, but it corroborates that um, fraud. And the passage in the scripture would be Peter 5.13, where Rome is alluded to under the name of Babylon. And the same interchangeability of Rome being called Babylon is also in the Sibylline prophecy. So to read it to you literally for your audience's benefit, it says, salute you doth the assembly in Babylon jointly elected and Marcus my son. What it means is the church that is Babylon elected together with you, salute you. And so does my son, Marcus. And what is this? Why does that matter? Because Marcus, the shining one, is exclusively a Latin name. No Jew, no Greek, no so-called Hellenistic Jew, no Persian, no Egyptian, etc. was ever named Marcus. You're literally looking at a Latin script Barely transliterated and translated into fucking Greek. 
It's monkish Latin. And this is what they threw. Robert Taylor was blowing this wide open, and that's why they threw him in prison. Because when you look, and this is why I know it's not sexy, people. It's boring as fuck. But you see how Chance and I and Gabe all understand each other. Because once you know the language, you can see this system. And it's very specific. And there's only one group of people that know this system, and it's the priests and the mariners and stuff that they teach it, right? These alphabets, they are found everywhere this system goes. And the reason they switch it up is because if anybody ever figure out, figures out the alphabet in one region and learns how to become illiterate or illiterate back then, well, everybody else still stays in power because just learning one alphabet, if I learn the Italian, I'm not going to learn the, the runes necessarily. Or if I learn uh, Spanish, I'm not necessarily going to learn fucking Babylonian or Cuneiform, whatever. You know what I mean? But when you start learning, not to mention things can just kind of diverge. It wouldn't be hard to just let things diverge a little bit because thing it takes time to travel or for messages to go across the vast reaches that these trade routes would cover. Yes, but my only objection to that is when you look at these alphabets, they're all using each other's letters and reassigning them. Right. Whether it's like the Greek P, you know, what I mean, they're, the in row. The, they're in the right order. Yeah, they're just they're just they're using different symbolisms and all that shit. Hedge alphabets <laughs> and alpha in the Chaldean refers to a tree trunk. House of the tree. Right. Bet. So. Anyways, that's what I had. I wanted to expose that with the fraud and proving this shit is coming from right before the Middle Ages. Right. Third, fourth century. And again, what enabled them? Because you wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to go to Rome and just take it over. I think the Italians were in such chaos from losing Pompeii. And that was such an economic hit to them. And they needed that help so bad. You know, because everything else is nearby. Naples, that was a huge city, right? These are huge port cities. I think that's what gave the, the monks from Egypt the opportunity to establish this. And and everybody was eager to have them because they needed the help so bad. If I were to, if I were to guess, and now the rest of what I have prepared is philology that I didn't want to step on any of your toes because I want Gabe to have his glory if he's gone crazy like the anagrams and all that shit. Keep uh, keep it going unless Gabe got something to say. Okay, yeah, I'm going to keep, keep it going. going. Okay, so. Or you know what? How about, how about let me do the? I'll do the last slide. What? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit it up. And we'll let up. you just. We'll just give you the floor until we have commentary. Because I had one more slide about the uh, rituals that came from the Sybil oracles. I'm gonna use the little boys' room, and I'll be right back. All right, cool. <laughs> so I'm gonna give. I'm just gonna hold up to discuss this. Dell, he's back, so he can comment on it. But nice, Gabe. What's going through your head? Well, uh, one thing that is the most epic vibrant possibly ever. Yeah, man. There's so much in this. I can't wait to go back. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Big time. Big time. So, uh, one, just a little footnote that is kind of going to come back up later, uh, in our weaves. I think, uh, I'm, uh, going back through the Cratylus dialogue with, uh, Socrates is talking about our words. Are they, are the truth of the sounds? Uh, are the, is the truth in the sounds or are sounds just a convention? Is it mere coincidence that, uh, you know, a blah, blah, blah could be a thing that bounces around and uh, 
steals your philosophical question. It is. It is. What is what is truth in the sound itself? And they push this idea around. And it's fascinating because they start on they go through three different ways of thinking about it through the arc of the entire conversation. But one of many nuggets out of the Cratylus was uh, Socrates. He's constantly saying, you know, I've heard obscure rumors that the word really means this. And they just kind of steamroll him and move on. But every time Socrates says in, a, in some circles, the word means this, that's actually a huge treasure to the reader. And one of those many nuggets that he slides out there is a word in Greek that sounds very much like Babylon. I believe it's more like babiron, babiron. And it means like a foundation, but it also is a, a surety. Like, you know, to have a good foundation is to be sure-footed, you know? Um, but this... It, it, uh, but he corresponds it to a surety. And that just kind of hits a note for me because I know that um, one of the <laughs> phrases. Understanding. <laughs> is, you know, nice. Yes. Surety, sure-footed, understanding. And we're understanding the arcway of the temple of Delphi. And on the, if we're understanding the arcway, we're going to read the second of the three maxims. And the second one says surety or babiron confidence uh assurity insurance guarantees ruin babylon is guaranteed to be ruined so confidence the foundation the fundamental surety guarantees your ruin and it just blows me away that potentially uh, um, now i don't speak greek i'm not 100 percent on this but babylon surety confidence guarantees ruin is a really fascinating possible thing to be written on an archway that's above your head. Uh, and you're about to walk under the archway. Are you sure the archway is going to stay in place <laughs> or is Babylon going to come falling down inevitably? So I just wanted to share that, that the Babylon uh, might mean surety or confidence or like insurance and it guarantees ruin. It's sure to fall. So I just wanted to say all that. I want some, I want, I'm trying to find receipts on the word you're looking for. So when you, if you ever come across it again. Yes, I will. I'll dig it. I'll dig it up and maybe I'll uh, get it in the telly here in the next 24. Good man. So I didn't cover this slide yet, Dylan, but it's interesting because of the nature of these rights of the Argi, which is a lot like Argo, Argives, supposedly named after a human sacrifice of Greek prisoners that instigated this ritual, but essentially a procession in May, they did it in March and in May, a procession of pontiffs, vestals, praetors, etc., priests essentially, went around a circuit of 27 stations. There's the 27 again. Can we just appreciate how Praetor is essentially Freighter, which is brother? Yeah, P becomes F. Freighter. Refractor from Or B becomes P. Brother, brother, yeah, brother. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, it's all it's there either way you look at it. 
And so at each of these 27 stations, they retrieved a figure fashioned into human form from straw or reeds or rushes resembling men tied hand and foot. After all the stations were visited, the procession, accompanied by the Flaminica Dialis in mourning guise, moved to the Pons Sublicius. There's that word. The oldest known bridge in Rome, where the gathered figures were tossed into the Tiber. According to Ovid, the ritual had been established as a sacrifice to the god Saturn. Dionysus of Halicarnassus explains it as a replacement for human sacrifice that was meant to be to the god of the Tiber River, Tiburnian, Tiburinus, Tiburinus. <laughs> There's a statue of Tiburinus who's got the cornucopia, the horn of plenty, and some divine twins underneath him. And why this is interesting to me is because the straw men we're literally throwing straw men into the river <laughs> and how, you know, it reminds me of the druidic human sacrifices and the burning of the wicker man and things of that nature, just to show that, you know, there's definitely a link probably between all these things. And then the bridge, the Pons Sublicus is interesting as a, there's a lot of uh, legends about it having magical properties that if you were being you know, chased out of town, if you cross on that bridge, you could get out alive. Although in most of the legends, the per- the person being attacked or or uh, persecuted thinks that the, the bridge will save them. And then when they get there, you know, they get beat to death or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, there's a straw man situation here. That's what I thought was most fascinating. Literally, the straw men are taking on the debts or the sins and being, you know, as a replacement so that they could have their, so that they could have prosperity. They could appease the gods or the god, essentially. Comments? So this is in Rome, right? In this yeah, yeah, this in Rome. is in Rome. So all of this, uh, so Ovid is saying that this is a tradition that they're using, uh, you know, wicker figures to do this ceremony. It was originally supposedly that they were prisoners of war were being sacrificed. Okay. Well, this is interesting. I think this layers on, and this ties into the, uh, um, the Carberry theory that, uh, Jerusalem is Barcelona. Uh, and in fact, what was that first word you said? Tom Carberry is a, a researcher who has this very solid theory about Jerusalem is Barcelona. Wow. In, in, His in, last in, name sounds like Kabiri. Like yeah, the, buddy. The, the Titans, the, the Phoenician Titans. That's wild. He, he, I love this guy. I love his work. He's kind of retired, but it's still worth, worth taking a day to dig in. So he maps out a place in, in Barcelona where the clay figurines from the Parthenon, I might be saying that wrong, whichever one is round, it's like iconic Barcelona round uh, gladiator arena. I think it's Parthenon. It's not, it's either that or the paint. It's the paint. People know what you're saying. Who cares? Yeah, it's the round one that's broken down where the gladiators used to fight. Well, they took all of the, there's 360 gods, one for every uh, degree of the circle. They were in that arena 
And something happened, some crazy event. I think it has to do with the five extra days added to the year. Uh, but they took the uh, these clay statues and they threw them all in this river just outside of Barcelona. And that's why that river is for always red now, because the figures were made out of red clay. And so that river's new name, the muddy, dirty, filthy lube, uh, has to do with lube. Like, it's oily. It's the oily river. But it's a Libra river. It's the Libra river now. And then the other river is the Gato river in Barcelona. So you have the cat in the Libra. You have August and you have uh, October rivers, literally, uh, uh, in Barcelona. But the, one of those two rivers is where they threw all the clay figures that turned it red forever. So it's a ruddied, ruddy red river now. And so that story that is supposed to take place over in Rome or somewhere else, I'm thinking it took place in Barcelona. Very well could be. There's a lot of shady shit going on there, especially Spain, lying about people and monuments and such. Um, interesting, the red stone in the, yeah. those obelisk-like stones. In right. I give you my word as a Spaniard. I've known too many Spaniards. Your word is no good. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. I've heard, I've heard Barcelona is really amazing, though. Yes, totally. Um, so I wanted to, I mean, I, I'm kind of shocked that you guys haven't, I feel like I'm going to be taking candy from a baby. You guys want have any like last uh, anagrams or uh, philological I, interchangeabilities between civil, gover, civil, and cyber? Because oh, I'm going to drop some shit on you, and you're going to be like, "What, man? Yeah, I yeah, could man. go. I could I just, go on and I on." I feel bad and taking on. all the glory for when I'm about to drop, but I've got. Okay, I okay. I'm sure, one of you was going to drop some of these. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Chance, can you pull up a map of uh, Greater Israel, the Greater Israel map? <laughs> uh, I did. I blew Chance up with a ton of visual uh, potentials uh, to choose from in our Telegram before the show, uh, of which he's welcome to pull anything up. Um, but at first, I would love to point out the shape of Greater Israel. If it's going to comp- oh, okay, maybe not. No, maybe just Israel. Map of Israel might have it. And Show him the Google images so he can see the options. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Because oftentimes the, the shit you're looking for is like, you're, not, you're an intelligent feller, Dylan. Yeah, man. I've just, I've just been doing it for so long that like I'm every time I try to find something, it's never like in the first couple rows. It's always like, I got to scroll down. Yeah. They've been burying everything. That's funny. I want, there it is that, uh, the turquoise one there, nice and sharp and pointy. That one, oh, one, one more, one up from there. Oh, okay. There we go. Nope. One over from there. The sharp one. There, that one. This is the Saber. That is the Saber. This is a sword. This is a uh, cyber. Like a shimmetal. Oh, yeah, yeah, Saber. Oh, sh- I didn't even think of the Saber. Oh, this is, this the is Saber, the- like that you castrate yourself with? <laughs> yeah, like the Buffalo Sabers, like the fucking things that they had in the Civil War, those swords. Right. And now here's the thing. A saber is a very 
specific choice word. It's a slight curve. There's a little curve to a saber stylistically. And so you'll notice that in Star Wars, there's no curve to a lightsaber. They are they are lying to you, but they're doing it quite intentionally. It's like a globe earth flat. They're like, it's like a horizon scheme. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. So it's another one of those things where they, you know, like Donkey Kong. Well, he's not, he's not a fucking donkey. When you tell me Donkey Kong and I'm looking at a fucking monkey here. So is it AMD and Intel? I'm not sure what that's about. Well, not, he's referencing how Sybil and Cyber work together, and Israel oh. is famously Cyber. leading the whole tech industry right. in a lot of ways, especially related yeah, to sure. cyber security. That's exactly right. Battling their cyber sabers before the next play. Yes. And when we saw all those lightsabers. <laughs> right. So we're supposed to get cyber envy. They're already calling it, even though it hasn't happened, they're calling it I-9-11. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. Wowzers. So, uh, it so happens yeah. at 3.33 p.m. <laughs> so so this, uh, this shape uh, stands out like a sore thumb to me. I see it in a lot of places, actually. It's a shard. It's a... Uh, um, it's also um, in DIA, Denver International Airport. There's a famous mural of a, a gas masked soldier swinging his saber over a bunch of huddled masked children. And they're, they're hiding in the rubble. Well, the shape of that saber is absolutely right here is, is the shape of Israel. Um, and it, I don't know, Chance... Can you dig anything out of the telly that I sent you? I mean, you could just pick almost anything. Uh, I definitely wanted to mention that uh, Machiavelli wrote a play called The Golden Ass. And it turns out in that golden ass, he actually gives uh, virtues or characteristics, behavioral patterns to certain animals. And so he's laying out an entire like behavioral pattern cipher and he's putting it behind totems. So different animals have different attributes per Machiavelli. I just learned that recently. What do you I think? I gotta of- say this. I was not gonna I had not planned to talk about this because I've got it all queued up for Jan, but ass is also a gothic name for Odin in the Gothic language. Spelled A S A E S. Or the which or A E U S U S like Isis. Isis, wow. So Asgard is literally Asgard is the district of Odin, the circle, the holy circle, or the enclosure of Odin. What holy enclosure would that of the sun of the golden Odin make? Right. (laughs) What does does what does an ass draw? It draws a cart. Ass cart. Cart. Yep. Oh, yep. There it is. Wow. Cart. Oh, my God. Garden. What a trip. This may oh, So ASS is a 111, uh, which is a very holy number, right? 111. But uh, uh, 
613 mitzvahs or 613 areals in a pomegranate, 613, is the 111th prime number. And so this 111 and the ASS and the other kings and royal houses wearing this 111, they're all pomegranate. They're, they're all hand on the guarantor. They're, they've all signed on the dotted line. They're all in on this, uh, this uh, shared fruit of knowledge. Uh, but yeah, that, that's it. This is interesting. This one, one, one pattern, the ass. <laughs> and the pomegranates, you know, the, the priests, the high priests, they have the pomegranates and the bells. Right, um, right. So, all right, I'm going to copy the first word and I'll pl- plug it into the YouTube chat. And I can't believe nobody got this. Sefer. So, oh, and, yeah. So that's like. Oh, and, Cypher. Well, oh, Cypher. Oh, yep, yep, both of them. So, Cypher and Sefer. And if you were to just spell it, it would be Samek um, He Resh. So, it's S P R. And I wanted to read you a quote from Valency about it. Uh, he wrote, There cannot be. Oh, let me sure I'm not. I'm gonna make, let me make sure I'm not. Okay, I'm good. I'm not me. Sorry. So yeah, B switches with P, P becomes F easily, L becomes R, and all of a sudden symbol is Cephar or Cypher. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so Valency wrote, there cannot be a stronger proof that numerals preceded letters than the Hebrew word Cephar, which properly signifies to number, to cipher, numeration, numbering. But after numerals were applied as literary characters, the same word denoted as it does to this day, a scribe, a letter, a book, a literary character. Now, his claim, I can't verify his claim, right? But he wrote this and um, he said, uh, basically, the Phoenicians had numerals before they had letters. The first numerals were similar to the Irish Agam, marks consisting of straight perpendicular lines from one to nine, and then ten was marked by a horizontal line instead of an X. And they these they retained after they had adopted the Chaldean alphabetic numerals. Now I'm staunchly against that because the Phoenician, in terms of the Chaldean stuff, because the Phoenician um, has no affinity to the Hebrew. And the Hebrew is basically just a younger version of Chaldean, even though they share the system. So what I suspect is the Phoenicians brought this over to the east when, as Canon says, the Greek general, the Phoenicians once possessed the empire of Asia and made Egyptian Thebes, which is Luxor, their capital. Um, But again, this would be, in my opinion, because with my work, I'm showing that the Etruscans might be the Phoenicians themselves that this would be the origin of the Roman numerals, which also corresponds to the Chinese system. And, um, you know, it is what it is. The second word, you, got, you guys, nobody mentioned. So. Oh, hold oh. on, wait. Before, yeah, hit, hit it up. Chime yeah. in, do whatever you want. You let, I won't continue until you tell me to continue. Before we go too far from Thebes, Thebes in reverse, Sebeth. So Sebeth. Like Sabbath? S-E-B-E-T-H is Thebes in reverse. Oh, shit. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Sebeth. Yeah, man. And that's uh, and that's one thing about that. That'll be like the same house, the same bathhouse. They come they commune together. You know, they they share a bath 
uh, or they share a table. That's what a Sabbath means to me. It's like a coming together, you know, the witch's Sabbath. It's like, yeah, yeah. we're all, we're all in the click. But yeah, that's a good one too, right there. That fits. Interesting. So the next word in there that it's philologically related to, to pair, which is above. We've kind of already broached that, unless you guys want to add. Uh, that would be the same as uh, sover, which is, you know, the root of sovereign, wow. right? So, so super means above, over, or in addition to in Latin, to which I'd add beyond when looking at the context of its etymology in the word sovereign. Yo, yeah. Micmac hit us with Zephyr, the wind, and the yep. wind is the mind. That's yep. a good one. And winds, you require them for navigation. It's Zephyr. Te- Zephyr. Technically, it's the western wind. And now, this, this is, so this is where uh, Marilyn Monroe comes, becomes a sibyl, because the sibyl is elevated up on a high seat, a three-pronged uh, weird chair, and the gases are hitting her from below. So like Marilyn Monroe, when she's on the vent and it's blowing her skirt and her hair is in the, all in the wind, well, she's playing the role of a sibyl because she's, she's, uh, she's up high, she's elevated, she's over, like you just said, over, right? But she's also being over inundated with information. She's getting blasted with all the vents from below. So that moment of, uh, of Marilyn Monroe, she's actually doing a, a sibylline uh, and it's funny because it's sexy, so we're drawn to it. It's attractive. We're lured in. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a, a syphil. Uh, the yeah, that is a western wind specifically. Fly away on my zephyr. Wasn't Marilyn on the placenta meth from? Uh, yeah, buddy. Kennedy was on. She sure was. Yep, she was flying high over the sky. <laughs> I channeled. Gabe for the next one because oh, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta grant me that the Greek row, the R looks like a P. Right. So an anagram for super, and then the philological interchange between the U and the E to the O gets you soror, which means sister. Sorority. Whoa. Sorority <laughs> superiority of the symbols. <laughs> Wow. The superior sex. <laughs> well played, sir. Yeah, buddy. I told you I was you thought I was fucking kidding when I said this is opening a portal. Bring it. So then you also have with the S and C interchange, um, you have cover. So in sover comes cover comes the cover, which means to put something on top of or in front of, right? Especially um, cover. cover. Yep. Wow, cover and super. Yeah, especially in order to protect or conceal. Um, it's a thing that lies which make it which lies on over around something. Yep. So especially in order to protect or conceal it, right? So it's also an action that people uh take in a conflict to prevent their opposition from moving or escaping. So this shit is covering us in more than way, and it's preventing us to cover me, right? It's prevent covering fire. That pins you down. And so right. here we have both the meaning of protecting, preserving, and forcing into submission. And they're the same word, same root. Good Lord. Wow. Now here's one. Coverment. Yeah, coverment. Yeah, it's literally suppressing. <laughs> here's one. Caper. C-A-P-E-R. The same, similar philological interchange. I believe you held out. 
I can't believe you held these, held on to these. This I game. told you I didn't want to take your glory because I, I, I really thought you guys were going to be going batshit. I mean, this is like, you know, I thought this was going to be the one. This is uh, it, man. I love it. Caper is one of my favorite words. Uh, it uh, uh, hails back to the Kepri beetle, leaving tracks in the sand that and you can interpret. Oh, and dude, capoeira, right, is kind of similar phonetically. Capoeira, well, yes. Guess what this word is. Was skip or dance about in a lively or playful way, but <laughs> it's also that's the caper, right? But it's also as a noun, an illegal or questionable act or escapade. Yeah, it's capoeira, all right. That's totally capoeira. <laughs> the caperman, the government, the caperman, the sibyls, the capers. I mean, it's the same philologically. It's the same. Now we get going into some uh, paper is also a uh, food like similar to olives, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah, on yeah, they're kind of like they're, yeah, they're, they really work well with like grilled fish with like a white sauce, um, or what white wine sauce. See, I'm lox, yeah, yeah, lox, yeah exactly. <laughs> yep, lox, light. Um, now here we have something interesting the word bolus. Right, B O L I S. It's an anagram for Sybil, like literally, like Belis. Right, if you rearrange it, just the, the turn the Y into an O. Is a meteor or a brilliant shooting star followed by a train of light or sparks, especially which one ex- explodes, or in other words, a fireball. Now, this is interesting because you know that B V interchange, like the Greek beta is going to be volis, right? In Greek. That word is a javelin, an arrow, a dart, or a missile. So this brings a whole new appreciation right up in the word. Get ready. Symbolism. Conveying two things that share the same bolus of thought. Sparks, the same thing that explodes, the same fireball, the same arrow. You know, just like how the higher mind of... Jove's arrow or Sagittarius's arrow, right? Transcending the, it's aimed at the heart of the scorpion in Tardis. Wow, buddy. Trans, 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 uh, transcending the, uh, the carnal nature, if you will. So, then, so that, that brings up the, the, the descriptions of Jupiter. Uh, the descriptions of Jupiter fit descriptions of Job in so many ways. It is, it, it's fascinating, but he's covered in boils. Well, same word. It's the same fucking Jove, word. Yova. Tetragrammaton yep. is pronounced Yova. And then I just I had a conversation with this with a Christian guy the other day. Yov, like they say, Book of Job. It's iota, omega, beta. It's Yov. It's yes. Not Job. It's not Job. It's Yov. Yova. Right. Tetragrammaton. Right. Jesus. The year, it's like Janus. It's the symbolism of the year. Yep. All astrotheology. And and Jupiter is like covered in boils. It literally has these boloids. They're like these, and it looks like it's been shot with a shotgun. You know what I mean? It literally looks like it's like covered in these in uh, uh, like it has leprosemia. But the crazy thing about this all is is like Job was a glutton for punishment. He can't get enough uh, it's 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 almost part of the requirement is that you enjoy punishment uh and that is a fascinating lesson you get jovial 
you get yeah you you get off on pain and that is the choice uh, acolyte of that of the if that doesn't that describe story. the priests i don't know what does <laughs> isn't that something but this but here it's crazy because that is one of the most symbolic things i've ever thought is how symbolic uh, Jupiter is to the descriptions of Job. His ribs are showing. He's got gray curly hair, swirly curls, ribs showing. All those things are basically description of Jupiter, but that's symbolic. And here you are telling me that the boils is where the word symbolic comes from. It's boiling in the same way. So fascinating. Well, another interesting note here <laughs> plague and war, right? That the uh, Bellos, the arrow, is fired from a toxo, a bow or toxon, toxin, you know, giving us a link between the idea of the virus or the poison and the weapon and the wound and the strike. There's more there, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> wow. And, you know, uh, I, I've always thought about, like, um, bringing in uh, gods that have longer ballistics, like bringing in Apollo and Artemis, bringing in these archers, you know, before it was uh, Athena and Ares, they had spears. So you can't, you can't really get as far as you can with the archery. So my theory on this bringing in the archery, the Scythian uh, integration is also a key, uh, symbol of expansionism. So, so now we have further borders further out from the centralized power hub. So that means we need archers if we're going to threaten the uh, citizens on the far borders of, from the centralized power. So now we need uh, Artemis and Athena, or no, Apollo and Athena, because we can shoot you from far away. And it instills a sense of self-consciousness that there's a panopticon God is always watching you. He's got you. All the way from Rome, he can see what you're doing, and he can shoot you from here. Not to mention that the toxon or the bow, the bow shape is also an arc or an arche, the ruler. And this dovetails nice to the next word I have. Keep that that mark, yeah. right? So it's vergo. V e r g o is an anagram for govern, and that means I bend, I turn, incline. And when you grant that O to E interchange, it's also verget or veriet, which is a rod or a staff of office representing a phallus which indicates patriarchy. Hold on, I'm going to finish. It's also a circumference, a circle, a ring, an edge, or border, hence the expression on the verge. Oh! Wow. Yeah, I'm kicking ass. Fuck yeah. That is great. That's like a monad right there. You basically just plotted the monad. You got the center pole and the and the and the verge. That's great. Fuck, that's great. You ready for I got more? (laughs) So the next one Dylan thought this was like a like a test. Like how many points can I score? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 well, I'm you know. so glad. I mean, don't get me wrong. This, so, is, this is a perfect demonstration of why philology matters. That look at all these threads we can pull and be like, wow, some all these concepts are related. 
Well, so Gabe was talking about that Scythian influence or site, right? Mm-hmm. Well, an anagram for caper is, if you grant the S to C interchange that is seen in Greek, reaps. R-E-A-P-S. Reaping what you sow. Whoa. And then last Whoa. but not least, the, uh, the an anagram for sover is roves. And if there's one thing this system does, is it roves all over the world. Very well played, sir. Very well played. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Wow, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Damn. Rove, the wanderer. And that's actually one of the names of one of the matriarchal sibyls is the wanderer, right? One, yeah, I got that somewhere in my notes. I don't know it that well. Yeah, one of the big mama sibyls was called the Wanderer, which kind of points to Jupiter, really, again. But that might be a Kumean sibyl reference because she was described as being not from, uh, she's incognita in disguise and also not local. She's foreign. Uh, mm hmm. And to one of the roots that we were talking about with bullies, uh, Kautzi in the comments said that Bolo is to speak in Bengal. I can't corroborate that, but if that's true, that's philologically Bolo. And Boro in Greek, sometimes it sounds kind of like Bolo. They they don't really distinguish the LR very well. Boro, that means uh, I can. Like to... To be able to. Oh, yeah. and uh, 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 Decoded uh, said that that's where it, that's correct because it's in the, the root hyperbole. It even sounds like uh, ability. Abolo. I have the abolo team. <laughs> uh, so, Chance, if if you pull up any of anything, just free free pick out of the uh, pile I sent you in the telly. I can just uh, freestyle riff. Yeah, I'm looking for <laughs> one that's not something you've already kind of covered well. Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, maybe towards the bottom, the the one with the uh, um the picture of the zebra and the uh, it's actually my bedside stand. Uh, I actually have a picture. It's a book of Plato on a bedside stand with the zebra. I think I sent it to you. Yeah. All right. So this give us a good grand finale. Um, I'm running out of gas. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. So uh, can you zoom in for me? Let's see. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you. Yes. This is fun. So I was researching uh, Machiavelli's poem, The Golden Ass, which uh, is also called like, it's got a couple different names. Uh, It's in here somewhere. But um, he wrote that poem in a very specific pentameter. He used very specific syllabic choice patterns, right? So we're dealing with the symbols of the symbols in the syllables are going to be key to giving context to what the message is going to come through in the play. And the reason why this sounds, it, it sounds like I'm stretching, but I actually happen to, I, I happen to know because I practice capoeira, I know that we use the, tam, the tambourine is the initiation 
of understanding the timbre of the situation. And so we actually will switch into different rhythms to intensify or to calm down the energy of the, of the procedure. Real so quick, that, Gabe. Yeah. Syllable, syllable, syllabus. A syllabus is, we know, like they handy that to give you the main point of what your course is going to be about. But the other meaning of a syllabus is in law, a summary of a published judicial case. So like the ruling, the outcome. Nice. nice. I love that. I love Back that. To, like, giving you the law connection to the symbols even more clearly in language. Absolutely. Right. And it's the public facing side. This is another thing I think I'm seeing here. I think we're dealing with this. Uh, very likely, this has a lot to do with the stegon- uh, stenographers in the courtroom, uh, which is going from from public to private. And steganography is going from private into the public. Um, I think there's a little bit of that going on here because we're talking, as soon as I hear public, I'm always like, oh yeah, I I always forget that is constantly important. So yeah, we're on the public facing side. Uh, The tambourine is the cipher or the code or the timbre. It's telling you what the timing of the plan is, like a syllabus. We're going to go on. So the Greek word steganos means covered. Yes. Stenography is covered writing. Back to cover and sibyl. Yes. Steganos is covered, but stenagos would be uncovered, would be open. So this, this, what we see in a courtroom is a stenographer. It's going from the public, what everybody knows. She's putting it into shorthand. And it's going into the private that only shorthand speakers can read it. Steganography is going the other direction. It's going from the private. Yeah, I was mixing those up. Whoa. So the G tells you if which way the door is opening, if you're going into the indoors or if you're coming outdoors. The G in steganography and stenography. Public. Kaibul. Saibul. Backwards. Wait. Kaibul means public. It's if you grant the double. So if you grant that P into a B and just use the double B, it's Sybil. Sybil is public. Oh, it's anagram wise. Yes. Brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. Public is. Yes. Because they're open lips. That's the other thing. Uh, Public. uh, That's nasty. They're open-lipped, yes, because they're, if you're open-lipped, you're obligated. You're obligato. Your gates are open, so you're in the public. If you're speaking, you're public, you're obligated. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Back on this, back on this graphic. So Machiavelli, uh, so Socrates' last work, while he was in prison, he wrote uh, Aesop's Fables. He wrote Dithyrams based on Aesop's Fables, one of which, number 216, is the story of the donkey and the boar. And the donkey and the boar come together, uh, and they make a bad joke. And Socrates, I think, is, is hailing not only Isopsophy, Gamatria, but he's also hailing Aesop's fables. He's uh, giving us the cipher uh, to go back and reinterpret what we thought we read in Plato's Republic. Um, well, what's fascinating is that 
Machiavelli wrote The Golden Ass, and he used this very specific timing, this pattern for for the play, for the way that the words are spoken. And they're spoken in a very difficult rhyme scheme. And Dylan, I think you'll have something to say about the nature of this rhyme scheme, this terza rima. Does that ring a bell, the third rhyme? Well, what was so interesting to me is like how close it is to Roma and uh, Rima is something, but I, I it's like, it's grind. I mean, it's an anagram. It's basically an anagram for a more, there's a lot of stuff in it, but yeah, uh, yeah. No, I've Wait, never, I've never, uh, I didn't even know Machiavelli wrote poems, to be honest with you. I, I know. He also wrote, a, he wrote about uh, Belphegor. <laughs> What's that? He wrote, uh, Belphegor is the infernal spirit of sloth. It's a devil who uh, gets sent up to earth because too many human men are complaining about their wives. It's like the it's entire still- Italian culture. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So, yeah, so I found out that uh, Machiavelli wrote about the golden ass. I think he's quite in the know about this Socrates being not just a donkey, but a zebra in particular. And reading between the lines is the ability to recognize this terza rima uh, pattern in the art. And so it's not explicit, it's implicit. And if you can recognize this particular pattern of rhyme scheme, then you know that you're in the club. Then you're, then it, uh, it's almost like um, you could think of this as the trigger word. You know, like uh, I think that uh, the Sibylines believed they were programming people in this life with overt programming that could be covertly triggered in future lives by simply hitting the tambourine or speaking in the same cadence or rhythm or even language or passwords to trigger like a sleeper cell in this life. Rima is right in the middle of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. And what, you, what you just said sounds far out until you remember that like crucial to the entire doctrine, the Sybil system is transmigration of souls or reincarnation. Yes. yes. To, the, totally- to the degree that they maybe even believe that that process could be directed by them. Yep. Yep. And and for that, uh, and all they need to do is uphold the illusion that it does work. Whether it works or not doesn't really matter. We still can count on their behavior to adhere to it. So yeah, I just threw in some copies of like Aesop's Fables here, and two one six is six times six times six. Uh, that happens to be a very sacred number. T A X. It's also uh, August fourth, Barack Obama's birthday, two hundred sixth day of the year. Uh, and then I threw a copy of the Golden Ass there, which has a couple Lasino L A L apostrophe A S I N O, but it's also called Lasino Doro, which they say they translate that and they say it means um, the Golden Ass La Asino that's little ass de oro. But it also doesn't Doro also mean hard, Dylan, or tough or strong? Doro? I have no idea off the top of my head. Yeah. It sounds like endurance, right? Yeah. Dorians. Oh, Um, interesting. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, I wanted to just tell you this real quick. I think what I was thinking of when you said Rima is Sriman, which means, so it's S R I M A N, which means. Uh, one on whose chest is Sri Lakshmi, right? That's who Sri, like Sri Lanka. 
mother of the world, always dwells. It's another name for Vishnu. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I think what I was thinking. Of was okay, really well, that, that, uh, that makes me think of the Hierophant card because there's always a baby on his chest. And also, chance the Spider-Man with the baby uh, stroked, stretched on the Mobius. <laughs> that's what that makes me think of, with the baby on the chest thing. Oh, no, um, no. I, I, learned, I figured out what I was thinking of. I had to check Terminalia. It's a crack. R-I-M-A is a crack, fissure, or narrow cleft, which in Germanic languages is ril, R-I-L, which is a narrow trench or gully, a small channel or brook, or in other words, I was suspecting this was the etymology of April. And, it's the, and I would say it's the path of the father or the river of the sun. Wow. Ryan is also from. Chance is narrating that right now, everybody. So go by, you know, get ready for that. Nice. So uh, the Sybil sits on top of a fissure or a, a chasm. She's sitting on a rima and inhaling those fumes. So that right there, the, even the title of the rhyme scheme that Machiavelli was using is, is that saying. an allegory for something? That might be something real nasty, just that flat <laughs> I, it kind of seems like it. It seems like it, but uh, yeah, it is all so very. Uh, but again, uh, like the more profane it is, the more I uh, find that there's more treasures that I just haven't sussed out yet. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, totally. it's like they encode everything. I found that they use that word in anatomy to refer to the fold between the vocal cords. Oh, nope. well, that would be like. Say again. Relating it to speaking, as the sibyls are want to do, or rhyming. Yes. Hmm. That is interesting. So, so one of the uh, one of many initiatory lines that a uh, somebody who's gaining admittance into the presence of the sibyls, one of the things that they will say is, "I have drinking from the tampania," and that means like I've drank from this tambourine cup. Which, you know, they did have weird cups in Greece, but drinking from the tempania, I think that is saying I recognize the tempo. I have a, a trained ear and I'm actually acknowledging that we're creating a ceremonial space with the rhythm at hand, with that, uh, that specific type of rhythm. And I would even say, I bet different rhythmic patterns have different uh, sibylline context. And that's something that I've thought about trying to suss out on my Enneagram, because I would not be surprised if the different sibyls have different formulas that fit in the Enneagram, but I haven't done that work yet. Gabe, in God's Acre, I quoted Clement of Alexandria when I'm showing everybody how all of the church fathers were misty or Illuminati, right? Yeah. Clement of Alexandria admitted his initiation into the Egyptian mysteries. And he said, quote, I have eaten out of the drum. I have drunk out of the symbol. I have carried the kernos and I have slipped into the chain. That's the one. That's the one. And that phrase is like, you know, takes on slightly different shapes throughout time. And is kind of disguised here and there. But also, I think that, um, is part of that Dante initiatory process. Uh, Chance, you remember uh, Mysterious Universe put it out, uh, a whole presentation on Dante Alighieri and how they 
Turns out there's this uh, researcher who actually found an actual cave. The actual cave fulfills the initiatory process of Dante. Like, er, like the shape of the cave is literally playing out step by step the process of Dante. This guy discovers it. He gets all the big heads together. He's about to have a big present. His life work. He's, a, he's, a, he's like got a whole room from, full of people. And they're going to announce to the press that the Dante's Inferno is actually a cave that is a real location that you can go step by step through the book in this real spot. And just as he gets up to the podium to start the speech, to reveal to the world the secret of what uh, the book that Machiavelli is always holding is Dante's Inferno. And so he's about to make everything come to life in reality. And all of a sudden, the doors open and the, the people are getting calls. There's a big buzz in the crowd. And all of a sudden, the auditorium just empties and everybody leaves in a rush, in a panic. JFK had just died. And it stole the thunder out of the possibility that the world might realize that Dante Allegory's allegory of the cave is Dante's Inferno, is in Machiavelli's hand, is a real place. And they pulled the rug right out from under his big reveal to the world. Uh, and that was all on Mysterious Universe. So I just thought I would share all recent? of that. Was that, What's that. Was that a recent one? That was a couple months ago. You told me about it. <laughs> they go through so much stuff. It's just in one ear, out the other. Oh, that was so it's good. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't believe that the day that he's about to tell about the cave step by step, JFK died, which there's way more to that. There's so much more to that. Well, what you just said, Chance, how stuff comes in one year and out the other. And so sometimes you kind of undercut yourself and you're like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess it's probably better to buy the books than an audio book, but it's like, one of the best things about the audiobook is after you've done the work, it's good to revisit. And it's for just what you're talking about. You have no, if you're a researcher, you come across so much shit. And at the time you come across it, you either get something from it or you don't. Sometimes you get something from it, but that's not all you get. You don't realize there's even more that you just weren't at a level yet to extrapolate that. And when you go maybe a year down the road and you revisit stuff, you're constantly seeing like it, it just is like the load. It is constant bloom. It is just constant bloom of knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. That's why I have suspicions that uh, there's divine workings at play with everything pertaining to language that this, it is divine. This Man has is more like, like that. This system in, at least in its origins represented some kind of a discovery of what was already there something innate expression from humanity the epicurean idea that the sounds actually mean that the relationship between words and sounds is somehow related to the objects they signify on uh on a tangible fundamental natural level you know i to what degree i don't know and you know maybe in some ways we've corrupted those natural relationships but there's something that comes through Look at the this conversation in the last four and a half hours as a perfect example. How right when something is about to come up for a slide, it's already being brought up by the other ones. Like there's there's some kind of like divine guidance system that kicks in whenever you look into these things. That's it. What the language with the, with the alphabets and the systems, all that is is somebody took the time to map out this spiritual mechanism we're using. Right? A ah, we make ah. That sound, ah, a, that's going to exist whether somebody creates a letter or not. The letter just maps that out. B, B, 
be, you know what I mean? Like, so you could do this with everything. So all they've done is just somebody took the patients to map out every sound that a human being could make so that they could organize a way to, in the physical world. But the alphabets and the writing is not the spiritual, supernatural mechanism that you're alluding to. It's just a man's way of mapping it out. What we do have is that supernatural, spiritual, amazing thing that we're connected to. Right. Once we have the language, we're now entering, even, even though it's a thing derived out of imagination, however we map it out, we're entering the realm of the imagination, which is where all of, all of everything comes from <laughs> in the first place. So once you open the portal to that realm, once you've drawn a map, even, regardless of how accurate the map is, the map could be actually way off. Yet you'll get, depending on the level of, uh, you know, energy that went into it, complexity, intention, honesty. It's like <laughs> a know? monkey swinging through the trees, dude. The more you know, the more branches you have to grab on. The less you know, the less branches. You just, you know? Exactly yeah, once you have it. a lot of branches, then it starts talking back to you is what I'm saying. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's exactly like this it. applies to my stuff tuning for people. You know, the more I comprehend the language of the biofield, the more I map that out in my own mind, the more people's sessions start talking to me very specific information. Like it gets, it it gets intensely psychic feeling, but in a way it's like I'm speaking a language that the, the intelligence of the bodies can talk back to me through. You know, let's wrap this up guys. It's uh, It's a little late on my end. You know, I'm just, I'm Dylan's in shrouded in darkness. <laughs> I'm in the North country too. It don't get dark here till like around 10 PM. So, you know, it's getting fucking late. Actually you're a little earlier cause it's late summer, but. So, so on the language thing, I'm starting to think, you know, like I'm reading the Cratylus and they're looking at it like, Oh, the sounds and the truth are one and the same from the origin from way back then. And we have to figure it out now. I'm wondering if it's the other way around. I'm wondering sound and meaning and truth are weaving their way together closer towards the future. And now that we're 2000 years away from the Cratylus, we're looking at him and saying, yeah, man, because we're, because the meanings have. Uh, oh, it's so it's, we're actually it's, getting closer to what we're talking, what I'm talking about. Like rather than the ancients having it from the beginning, it's like, we're evolving towards it. That could be, yeah. Complexity yeah. in a way invites harmony. Like, right. like there's an ordering principle to the creation that as, as chaos expands, order comes out of it. Yep. And the, the cradleist wouldn't make sense to a lot, to young, to a young mind. They'd be like, what truth sounds? One of, what? If you're young, you're just going to read that and it is not going to sink in. But if you're older and you have more context that there's a profundity going on here. And when it hits a chord to you, you can't shake it. And you got to go read the whole damn thing again, because that was fucking spot on. And, uh, and one evidence of this idea that we're trying to, we're, we're weaving on all night here is while we were talking, I had a realization. And I think this is another example of how this it's coming from the future, not from the past. The word mosquito. I'm just, this was like two hours ago in, in the show. I realized mosquito is, K, excuse me, mosquitoes, plural, is an anagram for K Thomas. How Thomas, the same Thomas had to stick his finger in the Christ. 
So a mosquito is like Thomas sticking Thomas. It's, a, it's the incredulity of Christ is every mosquito is puncturing you. So and it's rude as Messiah or Moses. Moshe. Moses. Moshe. Moshe. So this penetrating pestilent pestin pest uh pesting, it's like uh constantly badgering you, it's constantly bothering you. It's a penetrating truth that you can't shake off. Uh, and, and what's amazing about it <laughs> is that it's uh, it's cobbled together from mythology. Thomas K Q I E Q K Thomas K Thomas Mosquito. It's pieces of mythology broken into sounds that are then recobbled into my head, and I think I know what it means. But deep down, on some on some past life level, it actually means. The incredulity of Thomas is mosquito. They're fucking with us. <laughs> we can't, Gabe, we can't even shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> We've got him so wound up. There's no end. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to look more into Cratylus. That's one I haven't looked much oh, into, but I love, I love that one. Really but interesting. The one thing that's got me really fired up is and like, I'm, what I'm finding out in like a quick look is that, uh, Buddhism is influenced by Cratylus. So it's fascinating. Yes, because they do. They talk about languages coming from the, from other languages coming in and changing the meaning a little bit. Does that mean that language, does it, should we use other sounds from other languages? Cause it fucks up the truth of the system. It's great. It's so great. Um, But yeah, I wanted to say this. The one thing that's got me the light under my, under my ass right now is Phonetic anagrams are where it's at, guys. Like, um, and I know that, I know, I know, I know. But now that I'm getting my head wrapped around it, I'm seeing them everywhere. And I don't think I'll ever fully appreciate the power of phonetic anagrams. But like, you know, Rome, Italy equals morality. You know, how mind controlling could it possibly get? (laughs) I think you just muted yourself, Gabe, or something happened. <laughs> the universe muted him. Is like, shut up, boy. <laughs> Guys, Gentlemen. this is so much fun. This is the longest podcast I've ever done, and it went Me by too, I so think. quick. So, like, this is going to have replay values like the Sybils for the ages. They basically yeah. got two podcasts in one. It's a twofer. You know, we made oh, up yeah. for being off a week, or we were off two weeks. Yeah. And Gabe, you made up big time for your your vacation. You brought it, it was, tonight. It was my, it was my big Look, gentleman really brought the heat tonight. Yeah, people were really enjoying it, you know. So thanks for the chat for contributing. This was a real cool subject, and it was so it was so unplanned. Like all of this was just like a lot of it was flow state. There was a little bit of organization, but not much. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> totally epic. I appreciate all the support. Also, uh, best super chat turnout of any episode I've done too. So yeah. feeling the love. We just hit 8,000 YouTube subscribers on during this stream, all kinds of good, big, big night, big Leo Excellent. vibes. Excellent. And uh, next vibrant will actually be the herbs of Leo astro herbalism of Leo. So that's going to be amazing. That'll be episode 100. So look at us go. 
Oh, it, it took three thirty threes to do episode ninety nine. Woo! I originally wanted this one to be episode one hundred for the big blowout episode one hundred, but ninety nine actually kind of feels more right to the sibyline. Ninety nine was a good time. Feminine ninety nine sibyline. We partied like of, it was nineteen ninety nine. That's for sure. Okay. I got a whole <laughs> lot right, of gentlemen. prophecies, but a sibyline one. Till next time, boys. <laughs> good night, guys. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Good seeing you, gentlemen.